0: Out a long time ago that it's much easier to control people when we're all watching the same TV shows, listening to the same radio stations, going to the same movies, looking at the same billboards, eating the same food, and speaking the same language. The freedom of speech is being taken away. We don't care if it's true. Just say it, sell it. Anything you practice, you'll get good at including B.S. And welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael, and I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. First-time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a very different kind of show, a place where you don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity, live and direct right now on the TuneIn Radio app. Search End of Days, and you'll find the podcast version of the program. And, of course, you can go to michaeldeacon.com for further assistance. Joining me tonight on this very special evening, Gary Wayne is my guest. Gary is a Christian contrarian who has maintained a lifelong affair with biblical prophecy, history, and mythology. His extensive study has encompassed the Holy Bible and Gnostic scriptures, the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, Gilgamesh, and other ancient epics. On the second half of the program, joined by another soul, Mark Stavish. He is the Director of Studies for the Institute for Hermetic Studies. He is a lifelong student of esotericism with over 25 years' experience in comparative religion, philosophy, psychology, and mysticism with emphasis on traditional Western esotericism. His articles have appeared in Academic speciality and a mass market publication specializing in spiritual studies making mark one of the leading authorities in hermeticism today goodness i hope you stay tuned for that once again thank you ladies and gentlemen for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds here we are again on a night like this well that's very loud you hear that my goodness gary are you there
1: i am here so so happy to be with you tonight
0: were you able to hear the jet just passing through my house there No, I wasn't. Yeah, the all sorts of different things fly over the house all the time. There's a Navy facility out here. Oh,
1: wow. Wow. Oh, yeah. That that can make quite a disturbance.
0: Oh, yeah. The whole house shakes once they fly by. But, of course, (laughs) thank you so much, Gary, for being here. This has probably been one of the worst uh, introductions I've ever had to do for anyone since my finger is literally bleeding all over the place right now. Oh, boy. It's amazing. Hopefully it's not cut too badly. No, I don't think I'm going to require stitches, but it is bleeding quite heavily. But regardless, here we are again, and it's amazing. I'm so glad to have you on the program, Gary.
1: Well, I am uh, ecstatic to, to be here with you tonight and
0: very much looking forward to the discussion we're going to have tonight. Oh, my goodness, me too. So how are you, by the way, Gary? What's going on on your side of heaven?
1: Oh, on my side of heaven so to speak i mean i am uh, extraordinarily busy uh working on uh a lot of different things in terms of facebook and the posts and the commentaries that i'm doing planning for um, a conference in, in Dallas in uh, November 8th, 11th, at the uh, top secret conference that is going on. So I will be speaking there and uh, be able to meet people who are interested in wanting to talk to me and a few other things on the go, but uh, not, Anything that I can sort of announce that is confirmed at this point.
0: Understood 100%. And, of course, you are a very busy man, Gary. You were supposed to be here a very long time ago, but due to your schedule and all sorts of things, it's been troublesome. But, again, I'm so glad we could finally be here tonight. So, Gary, please tell us about yourself and your your trials and tribulations. I would love to hear about your adolescence and the the Gary before we knew the Gary of today
1: yeah it's a bit of a bit of a story um you know nothing sort of remarkable um about me i mean um you know i grew up in a small town in uh, northern saskatchewan where it gets you know very very cold and i was brought up uh as a baptist uh, i was uh, baptized under united and, uh, you know, just a typical Canadian, um, on the prairies, um, loved hockey, um, pretty good childhood. And, uh, once I got out of school and into the workforce, that sort of led my path back to, to God and to, uh, writing this book. And that would have been in like the early eighties. And it came from my twin brother who, had challenged me to read a book, and if I had the courage to do so. And Your twin brother. Yeah, I have an identical twin. Oh, my. Um, and when we were growing up, uh, people couldn't tell us apart. And uh, even if, uh, you know, a lot of people today still can't tell us apart. So, um, But he challenged me to read this book, and uh, I did, and it scared the socks off me. And I decided I was going to verify Whether or not what Hal Lindsey had written, and and the book was The Late Great Planet Earth, which is uh, still a very, very relevant book and certainly cutting edge at that time in terms of Bible prophecy and so I wanted to verify whether or not he was accurate or not and that just got me sort of hooked into Bible prophecy and it got me on the path back to God and then I started to marry that up with my passion of history and mythology. I started reading that when I was about five years old and basically read everything that I could get my hands on when when I was young and so it sort of just sort of All came together in terms of this is, this is something I want to research and then as I learned more about it, it's something I thought. There's some things in here that the church doesn't teach and there's so many different things that most people sort of overlook and don't connect the dots on. And as crazy as it is, uh, I think, I think I want to see whether I can write a book about this and whether or not I can have it make sense and not come off like a crazy person. Uh, Right. (laughs) And as you go through those parts of the trials and tribulations of that whole process, even when you're done and you're saying, okay, I think this is, this is, this is publishable. You're still kind of on that edge as to, will it be accepted or will people just sort of to walk away and say, you know, you, you absolutely have lost it. You're delusional. But I put so much fact into it in terms of uh not just what's in the Bible, but what historians have to say and what other religions have to say, what the mythologies have to say, and that it just all seems to be, you know, from a prehistorical basis and moving forward into the end time, they all seem to be telling the same story from the same sort of, uh perspective except that that perspective is split into a polytheist lens and of course the christian side and the judaic side would be the monotheist lens
0: by the way going back to when you said uh, about god so you turned your back on god at one time
1: oh yeah i was uh, you? you know a product of peer pressure and a product of brainwashing in school
0: brainwashing and in I, school were you were you led to uh, peer pressure by your uh, your fellow classmates there
1: Oh yeah, I mean it was the thing that you know, um, not to go to not to go to church, uh, not to believe in God, um, follow this new teachings and things that we're getting in in science, be sort of free and, and, and away and be rebellious and you know all of that sort of recipe that goes into you know teenage life where you're you know you're trying to figure things out, but. You don't have any experience to base things on, and, and easily misled. But
0: well, it's a good uh, thing you didn't mention anything of your past, Gary, because you know someone can get very upset and you know go back to when you were in fifth grade and potentially ruin your life.
1: <laughs> oh, there's no doubt that uh, somebody could go back to maybe my my yearbook uh, and cost <laughs> me some grief. And, amazing, came to that point.
0: <laughs> right, I know that's one of the worries you have to definitely consider, especially today. Uh, you make one person angry. And they'll go after you,
1: Yeah, and I think that's just going to get worse. I think that's one of the signs of the of the times that uh, we're going in that uh, we're not just going to have, you know, this amicable disagreement in terms of what people believe in. But I think the other side is going to become almost possessed and monstrous-like in terms of how it starts to ramp up. I think what we saw with the Kavanaugh hearings is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what is going to be launched against christians and people who aren't going to follow the sort of global philosophy in terms of you know a world government and a world religion um we're not we're not just going to be considered um non believers we're going to be considered enemies of the state we're going to be considered almost pariah we're going to be considered less than human we're going to be like vermin and cattle Mm. and so i think this is just starting to show i'm glad i am so happy that there is a pushback so that um at least this age of persecution has been stalled for a little bit longer because i think this was almost like a you know a tipping point that if if the other side had won with false accusations or at least uncorroborated by uh, any sort of standard uh, in terms of corroboration then that that would just open up the floodgates as to what was going to happen
0: it's a really and, interesting case right Gary um, science always tells us not to rely on eyewitness accounts
1: yeah it does I mean eyewitness accounts can be unreliable very. I Gars miss I'm still here yeah can so, you hear me yeah yeah I'm saying very unreliable uh, very unreliable yeah and uh so but I still think you know we we need eyewitness accounts uh, to verify things, and we need a corroboration of that eyewitness right. account. And we also need something that goes along with it, right? There has to be something that sort of connects it. Like you just can't. I mean, just I mean, even two people could can easily make something up and accuse somebody. There has to be something that is other than than the than the eyewitness account. I think to to help corroborate things especially when you're dealing with such high stakes and i get that things like this can happen with you know things a long time ago and i mean what was i doing 30 uh some odd years ago on a certain month or something it's very very hard to go back and to. I mean, know you're, something you're, really stands out right
0: exactly and your memory will definitely be very shaky And How many times have we seen someone wrongfully accused and they end up in prison and then once there's DNA testing and they're proved to be innocent all this time?
1: Well, that's why we have due process as sort of the fabric of Western society as it developed so that we don't have that type of state where you're guilty before innocent. And whether or not you're in a court of law or not, this this transcends the courts. This is part of our culture that you have a presumption of innocence right. and the ability to challenge the accuser. It's When you don't have those two things, you have a totalitarian state that will take over. And then anybody can be accused and will be accused. And what a lot of people don't understand, and particularly in the end time, is that a lot of the liberal utopians who are looking for the new age and, and the universal government and in trying to evolve into gods and everything else that sort of goes along with that belief system, is that when they push back in any sort of way because they see something that they might disagree with or say, wait a minute, I'm not sure that's what I bought in for, they'll come for them too. And that happens in all of these types of revolutions, and it's in the conspirators' writings. That's exactly what they're going to do, that once they're done with the liberal utopians, they'll slaughter them like they will the Christians.
0: Yeah, and that's what happens. And, of course, Gary, I want to be completely transparent with you and the listeners out there. I myself am not affiliated to any political party nor the left, right, uh any other third party as well. And I must say, I'm an agnostic atheist, Gary.
1: Well, and I think people, you know, they, they need to make their decisions as to what they want to believe, in. that's uh, part of what whole, the free choice is.
0: Exactly. And it's good that we are able to have this discussion without either one of us getting angry or emotional. It's one of those things that we really cannot have th- these sort of discussions anymore without someone getting very emotional.
1: And, and, and it's what is also going to make things more difficult even more so going forward, because if we can't have a rational discussion and agree to disagree, then how can things be actually ideas exchanged and ideas challenged and so that people can change their mind moving in whatever direction that change is it's like part of the brainwashing man really either true. going to be isolated and brainwashed on one camp or isolated and brainwashed on the other camp
0: yeah it's it's the reason why i always tell people not to get so emotionally invested in anything really you want to try to look at it from an outside perspective not try to get too involved because that's when your emotions will come out of you and of course going back to
1: and be led astray i mean each each situation that comes up has its own set of facts and those set of facts will dictate whether or not it's right or it's wrong uh it's not what side of the spectrum you are it's what is right and what is wrong and we all know what is right and what is wrong
0: good versus Uh, evil it always comes back to that right well
1: a lot of times but a lot of times it's just you know just two opposing views as well so again you have to look at each individual situation and say is this good versus evil or is there just a legitimate uh two sides of good or two sides of evil that are having a small um a small disagreement so i mean not everything is 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 quite that black and white that's um yeah there could be and, and, a bit and of i gray. don't like to be a gray person on these things but i'm just just looking at it from a perspective that um uh, there is what everybody knows is right and what everybody is wrong, and there's different ways of approaching that, which is, I think, where people get kind of caught into we're on the same side, but we disagree uh, in terms of the approach after.
0: Yeah, that's when identity politics comes into play, and that opens up a whole nother can of worms, my friend. And-
1: yeah, and, mm-hmm. and you know, I even say, you know, as I'm t- speaking to Christians, is I'm not here to... um Cause any division with Christians. I'm not here to cause
0: division with no with, doubt, no with doubt people.
1: Um, but people can hear so, these things
0: because they are very sheltered nowadays.
1: Yes, they are, and I think when we have so many wedge things used as wedge issues to divide people, that is not healthy. That that is that has a larger purpose that is designed to have people at odds with each other to create the anarchy that is required to. Um, assert agendas which generally aren't good.
0: Correct. And going back to the media, of course, everything is ran by six corporations out there and goes fully with what we're talking about in terms of mass manipulation and brainwashing. All of it started from the television.
1: Well, it it was certainly a good way to start getting at the masses um, and sort of lock them in. And I don't think anyone, whether or not it's in the media or now in high tech and in so many industries, would view that an oligopoly is free enterprise. And I don't care whether it's a corporation or it's government-owned, and it doesn't have to be a monopoly to be too uh, sort of incestuous in terms of the control that it has over people. That's not free enterprise. And so, you know, again, our societies have been based on – the idea of capitalism and free enterprise as part of the the ingredients, but not corporations. They're not for free enterprise. They're for getting rid of free enterprise and letting the few control. And when that happens, then when you have too much power and too few hands, you get totalitarian results again.
0: Right. That's exactly what happens. And, of course, in the last five to six years, the political spectrum has gone under a whole new uh, transformation, a meteoric rise, I would have to say, in popularity and entertainment. Well, there, it doesn't matter what side you're on. You do have to admit this has been very entertaining.
1: Oh, I mean, it gets, it's riveting at times.
0: It really um. is. <laughs> it's incredible just to sit back and watch everyone sort of eat each other.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, but isn't it amazing loses. though?
0: Isn't it great though to see some of the motions come out of certain people just to see the true nature of their character?
1: Yeah, sometimes you see the best of people and sometimes you see the worst of people when that happens. Um, so yeah, it's very interesting to take, uh, take a step back and when people are under extraordinarily, extraordinary pressure, how do they react? It's, it's, it's very revealing at times.
0: Understood, yes. And going back to your book, Genesis 6 Conspiracy, my goodness, how long did that take for you to write, by the way?
1: Well, in the writing of the book, once I decided to write it, it took about 10 years, uh, maybe a touch longer because I was, I was writing it while I was still working. And what I wanted to do was, is I wanted to write a book that would be a short book and that I could cut my craft on in terms of could I get published and could I write a book that people might be interested with. So I thought, you know, I, and my passion, as I mentioned already earlier, was history and mythology and prophecy and, and how they sort of intermix. And so I thought I'd connect Genesis 6 with the end time. So I thought it'd be a nice, easy, short book. Uh, something happened on the way to the Colosseum, so to speak, that every time – Um, I dug a little deeper or I I, I looked at something else. It just sent me down some rabbit holes and i would be down those rabbit holes for a while in terms of the research that it was leading to. And as you mix in things like um, the mythologies around the world and the different religions around the world, it opens up a lot of these rabbit holes and that led also then to the secret societies. And once you go down those rabbit holes, you're really down there for a while and following all of these different trails. And, you know, I could be writing, continuing to write about, you know, an ad to the book today uh, if I wanted to. There's just so much information out there. So, um, yeah, it took a very long time, but there was a Point in time where I thought I've got enough, and then I knew I had too much. So I took 30 percent of the book. I mean, it was over over 1,100 pages, and the final product is just over 800. So you can imagine how much information is in there, and there's not a lot of wasted words. It's uh, as I like to tell people is that um, you can't speed read it because there's just so much information all the way through, and you need to be able to read it in. Um, portions that you can digest it uh, because there's you'll just get information overload. But fortunately, I also thought about that, and I wrote every chapter as a mini-story that averages about six or seven pages, and that uh, you can leave it at any point in time and come back because each chapter leads into the next chapter uh, and has its own story, and will keep coming up as the book
0: unfolds. My goodness, yes. You definitely took a long time to write And why exactly did you focus on Genesis?
1: Well, as I I was doing my research on on prophecy and logging all the different prophecy narratives in the Bible, and there's a lot of different uh, prophecy narratives, Lanes that that run through the Bible and you, know, you come very you know come across these interesting things in Genesis six about the creation of giants and you know so oh, you yes. go okay that's fine and keep moving on because that was not you know that's odd maybe I'll look into that someday but as you keep doing that and logging as you get into uh, the early, the early ages after the flood and into the time of the conquest you get all sorts of stories about these giants. And then it starts to dawn on me is that there's a connection here in prophecy between the giants the fallen angels and what happens in the end time particularly with revelation 9 and the opening of the abyss uh, the war in heaven in revelation 12 and the fallen angels and a third of them being uh, put down onto the earth and you've got demons leading kings to war and on and on and on in terms of things that seem to be related to what was being talked about in Genesis 6. So that was the thought was this should not take a lot and it should be a short book and I should be able to do it quickly. And like I say, just as, as I got into it, it was just a, uh, uh an adventure that I was not ready for. And the end product doesn't quite look like my outline that I wrote, although I wrote the first 10 chapters pretty fast <laughs> yes. and Uh, the rest of it didn't really change those. It was just filling everything else in between.
0: You also talk a little bit about the Epic of Gilgamesh, which I personally just love so much. I love all those stories. They're just so fascinating.
1: Well, yeah, it's, uh, it's a fabulous, uh, set of writings that come, come out of prehistory and, uh, is, you know, has some similar Stories to say the least in terms of what is recorded in, in Genesis. And, uh, you know, you've got, uh, an account of prehistory that is, you know, and there's many accounts of prehistory, but this is one of the more, um, detailed and sort of linear sort of story that tells us a lot about prehistory. Um, and it's one of the, the, Areas that people look at and say, "Well, this is the same story as Genesis," and obviously the Noah story is 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 based on,
0: on the Epic of Gilgamesh. Oh, way uh, before Christianity.
1: Way before Christianity, and written down, um, you know, starting at about 2100 BC, uh, and some and some more, you know, up to around 1800 BC, um, but it also. Uh, is not quite the same story as what's recorded in Genesis, and it's one of the reasons why I have it in the book, and it's one of those reasons, you know, those thousands and thousands of things around the world where you know it's telling the same story, but it has a, a different sort of slant to it. Yeah. So when we look at the Noah story, this is a survival story on an ark of eight human beings. But in the Epic of Gilgamesh story, with Utnapishtim or Ziusudra, depending on which translation uh, you're looking at, is is the name is the same individual. He's regarded as uh, offspring of the gods, and he is two thirds god and one third human, as is all of his family. So this would be the same type of demigod as the Nephilim of of uh, Genesis six and. Gilgamesh, who is telling these stories, um, and there's several different stories uh in there. You know, like you know, the story of the bull of heaven and the Gilgamesh's journey or Gilgamesh's journey and the star of the flood and Gilgamesh's quest and on and on and on. There's, like I said, there's many different. There's a uh, lot. There's a lot in it, and the flood story is one of them, right? But Gilgamesh is also two thirds. Uh, God, God and one third human, mm-hmm. and so is uh Enkidu or Enkidu again, depending on the translation for transliteration for the name of, that you're using. You, uh, is also two two thirds God and one third human, and so this is a story of giants and their survival on an ark. So it's to me, it is either um, you can look at it a, a couple of ways. It's either a story about the same event but with different kinds of beings. Or it's based on Genesis, or Genesis is based on this, and there's a slant that's done by either side. How, whatever you want to, to look at it is, is, is everyone's choice, except that the details of the story are only similar on the macro level, but not into the details.
0: Right. One of my personal favorite stories from the epic is the battle with Humbaba. Now isn't that the, uh. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, an
1: amazing in, individual Humbada. And yeah, it's the king of the, uh, of the cedar forest. Right. And, uh, this fellow is not necessarily human. Um so, uh, in the, in so, and, and en- Enkidu actually slays him, which is going to be why the gods are going to say Enkidu has to die. But this is a, Uh, a giant monster with the face and the paws of a lion and he has claws like a bird or a vulture he's got the horns of a bull he's covered in scales and his tail um uh which is it looks like a phallus that has snakes heads on each end i mean this is an unbelievable chimera type of Product that right. is, uh, a being that is favored by the gods and called a king and was, uh, protected by the gods, at least in terms of don't touch it. And that's why Enkidu ends up, um, who is, and these are demigods. That's why they can lose their life. It ends up dying as punishment.
0: It's very much like Hercules and other mythologies we've heard. It makes you really think about these biblical stories.
1: Well, again, and hero, uh, is what, um, Hercules would be called and, you know, a hero of old. Yeah. And he's, and they're called the classics in there. And of course, you know, they're the offspring of the Mount Olympus gods, um and, uh, who are sort of the second tier of gods because you've got the creator gods above the Olympus gods, you know, gods like Kronos and on and on and on with the other, so there's generally seven in 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 the upper level of the gods in, in the pantheons around the world. And so these are the gods that produce with human females um, what they call titans and heroes, just as the Olympic gods are also known as, as titans. So you have a titan of heaven and a titan of the earth, just as you have um the Anunnaki of heaven and the Anunnaki of the earth uh, in, in the Sumerian uh, legends and, and religions. And so another classic example of the Greek mythology is Poseidon and or is also known as Iapetus. And he marries um, a human female by the name of Clado and or Clymene, again, depending on which version of the story you're reading with the different names. But they produce 10 Titan- giant hero kings for the Atlantean Empire, which is the same story as what is going on in Genesis 6, where you have the sons of God going to the human females and producing giants, and giants are known as the Nephilim, as you take that back to Hebrew with the I am being the male plural. So you have the same story being told all over the world yeah. um, about these giants and just with sort of different names. So you would have giants like in India called the Danawa or the Daitia or the Azarus, and they all have the same creation story, and they're all demigods, just as you have the Meosi in China. Um, and you have the Zibalba with the Kishamaya. You have some beings like the Tengu over in Japan. And on and on and on with all these different giants. I won't bore everybody with every giant tribe that was <laughs> created around the world. But you get the idea that this is not a standalone story in Genesis or the epic of Gilgamesh or uh in, in the Greek mythologies, that this is in all cultures on all continents except for Antarctica and who knows what we may find in Antarctica down the road. That's on true. On a prehistorical basis. And, and it is a common thread that runs through human history. So I find the coincidence of all of these different religions and, and mythologies and or history Telling the same story cannot be a coincidence now, and as I say, the only difference in are is it a pantheon of gods involved, or is there a monotheist or one God involved? By the way, even the if, only real difference
0: even if it's real or not, a lot of these stories you could apply to so many different things, which is always good, and there's always a positive message you can take away from most of these things, even Satanism to some lesser degree, some of the things are just common sense. Which is something that society today severely lacks, Gary.
1: Yes, I think uh, we are possibly going back into the days of Noah, so to speak, where you have the first apocalypse uh, by water. And in prehistory though, you need, you know, again, these stories are quite consistent around the world as you have an age, what they call a golden age or an age of Aquarius as what they like to look to the future one as, but right. Zeptepi as it would be called in Egyptian mythology. Um it was a time of plenty, it was a time of peace, it was a time of 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 you know, kind of paradise on earth before it goes wrong. And it seems to go wrong with the introduction of these demigods and all the different cultures who even they at the beginning, as they call them, are good. But because of their hubris, um, they start to let the human side of them get the better of them and then War breaks out, violence breaks out, destruction, and the world is sort of paraded into into destruction. And again, in all of these accounts around the world, not just the Bible, not just the Epic of Gilgamesh, all of them, the gods get together and say we are going to put an end to uh, the, the civilization on the earth, both human and giant, and we're going to start again. And again, that is just an unbelievable coincidence.
0: It truly is, and, of course, I am astonished that you are so researched, Gary. I had no idea you had such deep, vast knowledge in a lot of this ancient history. And going back to that sort of thing, I did want to ask you about Zachariah Sitchin and the stories of the Sumerians, basically, and how you perceive that. Do you think Sitchin was wrong? Well, I
1: think I think he was working from more of an agenda base than um, maybe that he should have been, um, and I want to qualify that as well because when you know when you look at the idea, that, I mean, he's a he's one of the propon- proponents of the ancient alien mythos. Yes, and they do great research, and just as Sitchin was able to translate directly from Sumerian, so he could go go to the tablets and translate. But he's also promote, you know, a bias just as I have a bias um, from a Christian perspective. He had a bias that these were aliens, and I think a lot of his translations are sort of slanted that way to a certain degree. But at the end of the day, when you look at whether or not it's Sitchin or it's anybody else with the ancient alien mythos and, and theory, is that they're talking about more advanced beings, and the only real difference between what is written in the Bible and my perspective and what might be in religions around the world would say is, is that while they're more advanced beings than what Uh, the ancient alien mythos wants to sort of say and that these are beings that were, uh, you know, spirit beings and they're from different dimensions and all sorts of this aspect that goes with a greater type of being. So really, you know, when you're talking about the ancient alien mythos and Sitchin, you're just talking about how much more advanced were these beings? Were they actual gods or they just had some technology? And that's really sort of the hair splitting sort of argument between all of these different positions.
0: Yes. And you mentioned the ancient astronaut theory and of course ancient aliens, extremely popular. And I give them most of the credit for its popularity in terms of the mass media coming, becoming more and more interested and curious about this subject i definitely give them credit for that which is good but then of course there's some things that are on the show that i completely question and i sometimes i'm just astonished that some of the things they do choose to air on there uh, it's it's just baffling to me
1: on the uh, on the uh, alien shows or on what the media is now um sort of accepting and talking more about that you find surprising
0: uh Both, really. Okay. Yes. Uh, and I've had this conversation before with one of the producers, and I definitely told them my disdain for the program at times. Don't think that helped, though. <laughs> or at least for me it Prob- didn't help.
1: Probably I not. Ever, yeah,
0: I probably uh, won't ever appear there.
1: But what it does <laughs> seem to be doing is, you know, with all of this um alien phenomena and all the uh sort of airtime that it's getting, and seemingly more of an acceptance. It's like there's this process to prepare us to accept that we're going to be asked to take our seat at sort of the galactic table of species right. um, uh, in the universe. It's almost like it's going that way. Um, so I would say that we're, we're heading to some sort of introduction of of the aliens, whatever they are and whatever people think they are. And believe me, there's a new Probably are more well aware of it than I am, but there's a whole bunch of different sort of ideas as to what these, uh, alien creatures are. And a lot of times they even cross over into the prehistorical names like, you know, the Anunnaki or the Watchers as being part of the, the alien sort of understanding, uh, of these beings as opposed to being angels or, or, or gods and or giants. But whatever they are, I think, we're going to get introduced to them in the next 10 or 20 years. I think uh, that timetable is just seemed to be shortening all the time.
0: Well, you might be right. There has been all sorts of new discoveries in terms of science and space, and the future definitely looks bright. I'm very curious of how things go, especially with Elon Musk and all his inventions currently I'm very curious how all this goes and yeah. what's your thought. And with, on and that?
1: with Mr. Musk, he's, he's saying stay away from AI. He's ah, seen yes. it and we need to stay away from it, whatever that means. And, uh, uh, I'd like to, I'd like to be able to talk to him as to what he's referring to because, uh, AI is, is almost here. We're certainly on, on the edge of it in seeing some of it right now, but, uh, and AI is probably one of the more, um revolutionary things that can happen in in our time other than being introduced to beings um from from wherever um but it also and, and but equally they're both just as dangerous
0: well of so course of course and every, every well not every day but eventually i mean people will soon find out that we are the aliens and once we do find these other worlds and we communicate with people that look just like us I think, to be honest with you, I think even another war will break out because man typically is wolf to man.
1: Yeah, and when we look at the different aspects of the information we get on the aliens is there seems to be at least two different camps on that side. And so they seem to be... um Almost at odds with each other or fighting for predominance and then and in some other aspects there's multiple groups that are at odds with each other so it's really hard to sift through what is what is is the consistent message to, to the alien um, information that's being put out and maybe that's what they're also trying to do is not give us the exact meaning, but just to get us comfortable with whatever is going to be revealed to us down the road, if anything. But I do believe there's some sort of coming out party for this because it's just hitting sort of hyper speed in terms of its um, domination of uh, entertainment and, and and more and more on the media.
0: Fully agree with you there, Gary. And, of course, going back to your early roots, Gary, did you ever experience any sort of strange lights in the sky or anything that would be considered paranormal
1: not from from an aspect of an alien perspective um, I certainly and and again there's um some similarities into uh, sort of what we call spiritual attacks. So I have had, you know, spiritual attacks in terms of um, having your your dreams invaded, and you know it's not a dream, and you're paralyzed, and there's nothing you can do. I wasn't taken away or kidnapped or anything like that. So nothing in a significant manner. But a lot of Christians understand uh, this paralysis that that happens, and there's a fairly easy remedy once you learn what that is to to make them go away um, but uh, it is it is still frightening, but no, I've not seen uh, anything uh, with uh, spaceships, although I, I don't rule out that there's something going on, and I want to make that very clear. And I also think out of prehistory, we can make some connections that uh, talk to different beings and, and, and a great technology that happened in the past as well that may have survived the flood either through portals or whatever or off the Earth if the technology was that advanced, which seems it was
0: yes and switching gears ever so slightly here i did want you to weigh in on the catholic church and all the things going on with the vatican i know you've been keeping up with that i'm just again just baffled by the choices that a lot of these men and women do at various places
1: yeah you know and in anything there's there's good and bad um everywhere but you know the the hierarchy and the leadership in 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 the catholic church has been not so good um over the millennia and uh, we're certainly seeing some of the worst of what that leadership can do and it's non accountability and it's cover up um and i'm still not sure they're i um, ready to deal with it yet. And it seems to be a cancer within the leadership that, that, uh, is, you know, continues to grow. And maybe it's going to be part of the factor that is going to reshape Catholicism to be part of the universal religion that is uh, coming for the end time.
0: I believe a California man just this week was suing, I believe his name is Manny Vega, if I recall. He's like a former police officer and Marine and way back in his younger years I, I guess he was molested by one of these men and now he's on a on a bit of a warpath now to get a conviction finally from all these things
1: well it, it, and it doesn't matter where someone finds evil, it needs to be rooted out and it needs to be dealt with and there is you know you can you can have forgiveness, uh, but there still has to be justice in this world as well. We'll leave judgment um, for, for for God but uh, in this world, um, we need to make sure that. Uh, we put an end so it doesn't continue and continue to hurt people. And this has obviously been going on for a very, very, a very long, time. very long period of time. And I mean, who knows how far it goes back, probably goes back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So, you know, the amount of damage that that has done, it needs to be addressed. And so, you know, as we were talking earlier, it's, you know, it's, it's what I said is you look at every sort of issue that comes up and you look at the facts and you look at what's right and wrong and you do uh, what's right and you condemn what's wrong. I mean, you just have to, and it doesn't matter whether I'm Christian. I can't look at that and defend that in any sort of way. And I won't defend it in any sort of way. And it needs to be fixed.
0: You really can't. It's, it has me perturbed even discussing this now. And I personally can't forgive these men. It's a, a very, Heinous crime against humanity, in my opinion. And uh, you know, the Pope. It it is.
1: They're like monsters. It really is, Um, and and
0: Pope Francis. But as a Christian, we are um, led to try and forgive. Try to forgive, right? Yeah. But uh, can you really, though, Gary? Can you really forgive these men for these horrible allegations, which we kind of know they're they're not now?
1: I can forgive them, but I can't forget, and that doesn't mean they shouldn't be punished.
0: Understood. Pope Francis is asking for prayer for all these allegations. He says that they're attacks from the devil, and uh, I don't think so. No,
1: they're not taxed from the devil. These, no, these are, are done by men mm-hmm. um, and who may um, be um, evil and in, in league with the devil, um, but they're still done by themselves, and they are responsible for their their own sins, as we all are.
0: Right, we're responsible for our own actions and. We have to take responsibility for those actions, which is something, again, that we have a lack of here in America, especially in today's society. The lack of responsibility, especially from uh, everyone in the media, the politicians, it's just it goes all the way around. Mm -hmm. Nobody Mm -hmm. wants to just admit when they're wrong. Have, Have you noticed that, Gary? It's because people are too embedded with their sides as opposed to
1: what's right and what's wrong. And right. it's easy to have the protection of the people who have like views as to say, no, I might, I might be Christian or I might be Republican or I might be whatever. And so I don't want to speak against the people I, you know, who are my peers because they're going to not support me and they'll probably attack me. Well, that comes with the territory. Um, you either are for right and for wrong or. You're just out there spewing propaganda. Exactly.
0: It is a spiritual war that we definitely face that goes blind by the masses. And of course, Father Malachi Martin one time said he saw one of the cardinals performing a satanic ceremony or ritual rather. And to be honest with you, I kind of hard, I kind of find it hard to believe that he's making that up. Oh, he's not making it up. I don't think so. No, and there's
1: factions within you know the the Catholic Church that um have been there for a very very long period, and this is the faction that will eventually take over uh the Catholic Church so that it can become the Babylon Church and the universal religion of the end time so it has to you have to have a takeover of this church that is going to then be able to um also encompass the rest of Christianity and the rest of the religions around the world for this end time universal religion, and I do believe it begins in in, in the Roman Church for the end time.
0: Yes, and we've been talking lots of the end time, and a couple of weeks ago I talked about the Antichrist. One of my guests believed that Jared Kushner was the Antichrist. How do you feel about that, Gary? Well, uh, you know, he's
1: not the Antichrist. I'm pretty, I think I'm pretty much on safe ground on that. And I'm with you. Again, he, and one of the things that I just, I, 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 I'm not a proponent of is this Christian saying he, he's the Antichrist, this one's the false prophet. We won't know until who the true one is, until all of their credentials are revealed at the right time and we're also told that there's going to be many false prophets and many false Christs, so there's going to be a lot of rivals trying to be the number one Antichrist, but there can only be one in the end, so we shouldn't get too far ahead of of ourselves because you do two things. One, you discredit the people um, who you're associated with, in this case Christians, um, when you're wrong and make uh, predictions that you're not supposed to be doing anyways, and secondly is that um, it's going to confuse people and say this is all propaganda that you're saying anyways. And if you're trying to get a message across, you're, you're just losing everybody in the message. So this idea of, uh, you know, and they called, people called President Obama Antichrist uh, when he was oh, in God. power. I remember that. <laughs> and Bush before that, and... And again, it's not that I'm a fan of either Bush or, or um, Obama or against them, but they clearly weren't going to be Antichrist. And the end time has to have all the different pieces put in place before we can be in the end time. And people try and quantum leap, um, beyond where the pieces have been assembled yet. And so they may come together quickly at some point in time, but Clearly, we don't have a universal religion yet. Clearly, we don't have a global government yet. Clearly, the Jewish people have not built their temple and are doing sacrifices on uh, a wing of the temple yet. So we're not in the last seven years. So Antichrist doesn't take power until the midpoint of the last seven years. So how could any of these people be that I mean it's just so much that needs to be done you know just as last year people were talking about September 23rd I think it was from an astrology perspective that that was the sign of Revelation 12 oh my probably, yes right. and and then there's all these predictions about the rapture coming October 17th and I've been dealing on Facebook no I can tell you it's not coming on have October people really, 17th have people really <laughs>
0: asked you about that in, in a serious manner oh they do Oh, yes, they do yeah. So um Yeah, see Gary, this is this is the problem with society today, and I talk about this all the time, that the television and social media and, and people's friends, they, they really have a stronghold on society, the more the masses. Me and you, Gary, we are the minority. We're a very small number of people who are actually have self awareness and common sense. Um, yeah, and I like, I like to
1: call myself a contrarian too, because um, and a Christian contrarian as well, uh, because I like to verify things for myself. I don't like just to take somebody's word for it. Right, I don't right. Want to, what somebody wrote, I want to do the legwork and the research myself and, and try and arrive at my, at my own decision on that. So I'm not going to be. Um, the person that somebody wants to come to when they're making these things that, you know, you know, right out of the gate, you're just, you're just kind of shaking my head and thinking, this, this is just crazy stuff. I mean, um, if you're, if you're going to get it, be in, into prophecy and make predictions, which you shouldn't make predictions anyways, um, you better know, better know your prophecy.
0: Yes. And of course going back to 2012, lots of folks thought that was going to be the end. I'm sure you remember all of that, Gary.
1: Oh, and I had a lot of people even back then, even before it oh, no. even before I published my book would come to me and people I worked with and stuff, and I'm going, No, no, that is just, you know, a cycle that, you know, comes out of polytheism and yes, we are entering the age of Aquarius, but those ages are twenty three hundred years. And even from their religions and, and mythologies is that it happens sometime. In that period, and maybe even if it's early on, if you have a 23-year period, I mean, that could be hundreds of years away. I think it's a little bit closer than that, but it, I I said, I know it's not going to be 2012. It's just not everything is in place yet, and that's not what... They were saying, you know, if you actually read what the, the, you know, what the Aztecs and other religions who have similar dates with that age say about, um, the last age that brings the apocalypse by fire.
0: Yeah, interesting enough, a lot of these cultures separated by both land and sea, yet they have so many similarities. And one of those has always been psychedelics. And of course, I did want to get your opinion on that. The spirit world. Uh, lots of individuals out there today are messing with lots of psychedelics. They're they're playing around with a dimethyltryptamine and uh, various various psychedelics to treat, I guess, different sort of things like PTSD.
1: Well, I mean, a couple. You have a couple different things that you've touched on, and certainly back into prehistory and, and again you'll look on a lot of the different sumerian reliefs and other reliefs around the world they have depictions of the poppy plant as part of the gods and so we have a lot of these drugs that were being used in prehistory and it was used in religion and to make contact and be closer to the gods and again that's what a lot of people are trying to do with these psychedelic uh, drugs that they're doing today and ones who may not be aware of this are maybe coming into contact with things that maybe they weren't prepared for as well so but this you know goes back into the shaman in history as well of the religion in terms of how they communicate with their spirit guides and or you know celestial masters or white brotherhood or whatever um, somebody wants to call them because there's hundreds of different names for the same type of contact in these trances induced by uh, drugs where they can communicate and get information um so it's interesting that we're seeing that um on 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 more of a global basis, and also what I find interesting is that. Um, these religions that everybody thinks are different religions around the world in polytheism is is because they have different names of gods generally not they're generally the same pantheon they just have different vernacular names, and each of the gods have a similar position as to one that would be uh you know all the way you know opposite to the end of the world of of where this particular pantheon is. So you would have, let's say, a, you know, a god like the, the god of the Maya, which is, um, oh, I'm trying to think of his name right now. Um, the, uh, the, the feathers, uh, Quetzalcoatl, oh, the, right, the right. plume serpent, right? So he has a similar position in the other pantheons around the world. And typically these gods are also feathered, um, Serpent-like beings just as, uh, Quetzalcoatl and the other gods like, uh, you know, that go through South America are all pretty much the same as Quetzalcoatl and are, are the same type of god. So when you, when you have these things that are going on as we get closer together with the world, that makes sense to me because I also think this is how it was in prehistory.
0: Yeah. Quetzalcoatl. Yes. I believe that's how it's pronounced. Yep. I'm not quite sure. Yep. I'm just guessing. It's a tongue twister. It really is. That's why I'm like, I'm going to try to throw it out there. Maybe this is the right way. Yeah, I think that's the right way. Yes. And by the way, you mentioned Antarctica. Um, Tell me why you think there's something more down there. I have a feeling why, but go ahead. Well, there's a lot of activity
1: going on down there. Um, And when you go back into prehistory, it's not clear that there were polar caps at that time. At certain parts of prehistory. And so you also have, you know, the United Nations, the, uh, the Americans, all other countries. You've got visitors that are going down there like crazy. You've got Admiral Byrd and his stories, uh, in terms of Antarctica. Right back in 47. Yeah, all the way back then you've got. You know, evidence to suggest that the Nazis were interested in Antarctica or setting up port, um, you know, submarine bases there. And when you start looking at all of that, I mean, I don't know what is going on there. I just believe something is going on there and I think it's going to be important. And I think they're trying to control the information and decide. When and how this information might be released? There's just too many important figures that uh, that are going down there and visiting and having a look. So I think they're trying to get all parties on side. I know even up to a year ago, there were people who were saying there's going to be this big announcement on it. I don't know when and how, but I just think that um, there will be something that comes out of it and. You know, it's one of those continents that is said to have uh, even pyramids down there on us. You know, again, people are speculating on that, even though you see some pictures on the Internet that I doubt might, you know, are real. But you have pyramids on pretty much every continent around the world, so why wouldn't they be there? Exactly. And it could very well be covering a great civilization uh, from prehistory that maybe um, has survivors and technology there.
0: Right. I've heard all sorts of different rumors in terms of what could possibly be out there in Antarctica, possibly some sort of base for extraterrestrials. And then there's a military base and all sorts of different bases is what they are claiming there is out there. And, of course, we do know that all sorts of world leaders did go out there, even Obama went out there.
1: Yeah, that's why I'm saying too many important people um, are streaming down there and continue to stream down there. Still, what yeah. I understand. Yeah, and and you get into some of the prehistory that that comes out of um, the polytheist side. They have you know these you know more than just the Sumerian religion, more than just the Atlanta or Sumerian civilization. I mean, more than just the Atlantis civilization, um, more than Mu. These are secondary civilizations that they. Would say came out of uh, the parent civilization, which is Lemuria, which a lot of uh, people on the occult side are pointing to. That Antarctica is kind of that parent civilization. Again, not my belief, but just what they say. But when I when I when I look at things that happen in prehistory, I think we have to consider all aspects and see how that fits. And there might be a fit there, but there's something definitely going on down there, and we'll just have to wait and see. Right. Um, but I'm I'm not a very good speculator on it because it just there's just too many things to speculate on. <laughs> oh, I know.
0: I'm with you on that. We'll just have to wait till all the facts are rendered. But then again, we still don't know all the facts on the JFK assassination. Now, isn't that frustrating? My God, yes. I, you know, after all these years, it's still a topic of discussion um it's it's remarkable really
1: Well and President Trump was you know uh very anxious to release all of that and get Said straight to the edge and then he says well we're going to have to you know consider some classified things and then we're going to release it and that's been over a year now and nothing to be released so somehow they convinced him not to release it as well So very frustrating and It is And again um I think you know I think most people uh, believe these days that, you know, we, we we never did get the real story out of the Kennedy assassination. And it would be nice to to be able to put that one to bed with what really happened because all of the different so-called ways of it happening and who did it just make no sense.
0: Yeah, lots of gaps in that story, in my opinion. Uh, Way too many gaps. <laughs> yeah, it's remarkable. Again, Gary, I didn't even know you had uh, interest in that.
1: Um well, I, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, being a fan of, of, of President Kennedy and, uh, I remember when he was assassinated and I wasn't very old, but I think it was five years old, but I remember it and I remember the day of his funeral and, um it's it's and he's one of these guys i would just i would have loved to have seen what he could have done if he had continued to be able to finish his term um because he seemed to have such great potential but you know we didn't get that um but right you know as far as i can remember it was none of this makes sense to me as i understand it and the more you know i read about it and the more i dug into it you know there's just We've never been told the real story, and there could be several partners involved, too, in terms of, uh, you know, who who was putting out the hit on it, and certainly he had a lot of enemies.
0: That's true. The women loved him, the men wanted to be him, and somebody wanted to take him out, and when they do, they will get the job done. Yeah, and
1: again, the MO of setting up a patsy is just, you know, it's, 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 not a new idea, I mean it's been done so many times throughout history, so that the true conspirators you know don't get caught but so like I say, there's just every aspect of it is 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 questionable, and I don't even think it was a a well done uh cover story. I think that's why it never goes away is because they covered it up so
2: poorly
0: right there's lots of different accounts of. What's his name actually being, uh, in the, under the, the staircase there? Um, I'm drawing a blank on his name now. I'm not sure why. Uh, um,
1: you, you're looking for the, uh, the person who was, uh, blamed for, for the right, assassination?
0: Right. Yeah. So I'm drawing a blank too. <laughs> I don't know why I'm drawing a blank. I, I talk, I mention his name all yeah, the time. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. My God. What happened to me there? <laughs> so. Um, Oh, I know what's going on. My brain is still wanting to go back to asking you uh, another question in terms of the conspiratorial type uh, side here. Um, Is there any other things that you find questionable, uh, Gary?
1: Um, No, just just, uh, the propaganda that is sort of driving us into globalization just seems to be – uh, very contrived, and everything sort of has the same message it 's like um, we have to have world government, and therefore you know everything that you know every time the human population increases, if we don 't get human government it's it 's going to destroy us from the face of the earth, or everything on the environment is designed to uh, cross borders and drive us in, into world government. Otherwise, we'll destroy ourselves in the face of the earth. Or if we don't have world government, we're going to have nuclear war, and it's going to, uh, you know, on and on. Every issue just seems to be a contrived issue to panic people into dropping their national borders and forming an all-powerful world government.
0: By the way, I was thinking of Lee Harvey Oswald. Yes, yes he was he was um, claimed to have been in the doorway when when the assassin, assassination happened actually yeah
1: and, i i still don't know how somebody would pull off that many shots um, yeah, in such a short period of time from that distance and be that accurate in, uh all of the damage and everything that uh, um you know, was done from the different angles of the shots and things. It just none of it makes sense. And it was a perfect place to have several shooters in several locations to make sure that, you know, President Kennedy was going going to uh, be dead when they were done, as opposed to leaving it to somebody who's got to fire off that many shots in such a short period of time and be accurate.
0: I was also confusing him for Billy Lovelady. I'm not familiar with that name. Oh, my, yes. We'll we'll have to spend a very long time talking about this uh, next time you're on, and I'll, I'll have to show you all sorts of different information and photographs, but then again, you could easily pull those up. L- lots of strange things with, with some of those photographs and seeing some of the men. And But, yeah, we'll, we'll save that for another conversation. Sure. But I'm glad you're into that. I, I have no clue. Oh yeah, yeah. Well,
1: I mean, when you write a conspiracy book, obviously I have a bias and interest in conspiracies, so kind of they kind of go hand in hand. Um, I do look at other things that people say are conspiratorial, but um, again, I am a contrarian, so I need I need something tangible to to go along with uh, the the theory of a conspiracy. You're a man of uh,
0: substance, Gary. I could really appreciate that in you. Well,
1: I just, I just try to, uh, you know, make sure that whatever I'm making, um, my opinion on or my conclusions on that is, um, not just speculation or wishful thinking. And if I am going to speculate, then I'll tend to say I am speculating because I really don't have anything to back this up, but here's what I think.
0: Very good. Very good. And of course, I'm curious if you are working on another sort of book at this time, Gary.
1: Well, uh, I am um, and my publisher would like me to do a sequel to the Genesis Six Conspiracy, um, but I haven't started on that, and I have a lot of people wanting to do that, but I am working on a book. Um, that i haven't had much time to work on in the last year or so because i've been so busy on the promotion of, of my current book but it will be back into the prophetic side um for you know for christians in terms of the second exodus that will also happen in the end time and and try and get people to look at things in a more sort of holistic way in terms of prophecy to separate israel and judah and apply those prophecies to them and not to confuse those prophecies with israel and judah with the church in the end time because again there's so much conflation which is also one of the big issues in terms of how people apply prophecies. so um, and i think the second exodus most people don't aren't aware of um, but it comes along with rapture
0: and in terms of society say within the next five, six years, how do you see things going, in a positive way or in a negative light?
1: Uh, I think we're going to see um, more negative things than positive things over the next five to ten years. Uh, I think there has to be uh, things that are going to push the world to into a position where uh, world government is 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 going to uh, be the, the supposed answer, and I don't see how they get this done uh, without cataclysms and likely some contrived cataclysms. So it could be wars, it could be you know nuclear bombs going off, and things that are going to drive people. Uh, through fear into saying we have to drop our national borders. In the process where the globalists have been working, you've had Brexit um, crop up. You've got governments rising in Europe that are uh, putting a slowdown on any extension of globalization. You've got the President Trump a presidency that's pushing back at least now for for globalism so the normal sort of step by step process that they were onto to divide the world into 10 trading blocks or spheres of influence or groups of nations for the end time that was uh designed by uh, an organization an organization in the 60s called the Club of Rome that reports to the Rosicrucians um is not working the way that they would want it to work so um either they're going this thing is going to take another 100 or 200 years to come about at this type of rate or there's going to be need to be some catalysts that are set off to speed up the timing of bringing it about so i would look for more um, things that create anarchy around the world whether it's terrorism and all of these kind of things working together to drive people or cattle herd them might be a better word for it, uh, into accepting the globalist ideologies.
0: Right. And there's been so much going on in terms of, uh, the president, um, your thoughts and opinions on his run currently.
1: Well, it's, it's, there's never a boring day. I agree. Out of the gate. Right. Um, he uh he he doesn't have that many legislative um wins uh he's got uh, obviously uh some wins on judges um at at several levels uh tax cuts and a few other things he's starting to get some um negotiated uh trade agreement deals as he's moving forward with him it's it's so much of it's not that i generally might dislike some of the things he's trying to get done. It's more how he's trying to do it that I would object to strongly. So I think you could do the same thing without being, you know, quite that way. Uh, but I do know you need to be strong and firm to be able to get those things done, which isn't. Um, completely, what he does, he seems to to go over the edge too many times in terms of talking about it. But would you he say is changing he, the, he is changing the dynamic on a lot of fronts? There's no doubt about that. Would you
0: say he's a good Christian? Uh, I'm not sure he is a Christian, to be truthful. I don't think um, he is either, to be honest with you. I think a lot of these men and women are not religious. No,
1: I think, uh, it's, it's, it, you know, he, he, he is likely, in my opinion, put his arms around it because that's sort of the party that he switched to, which has more, um, people in it who come from Christian religions. So to create that sort of base, I would say he's been very good to Christians. Um, but I'm not convinced he's Christian.
0: <laughs> my general disdain for President Donald J. Trump has really been about the whole ushering of the reality TV era, in my opinion, that we've never truly escaped from. And I sort of hold him accountable for some of that. <laughs> Going back to 2005, 2006, that's when it was really born. And, again, his involvement with Jeffrey Epstein has always rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. one thing. And I have to be honest with you. I have to be honest with everyone out there.
1: Well, I mean, and he should be judged on everything he does, um, how he acts, as well as the things that he gets done. Well, birds and, 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 and it'll be a very, very interesting um, election coming up in a couple of years for him um, to see whether or not how somebody who is that disliked um, can actually win, even though he may have a lot of accomplishments. Um, i don't think it's been done I, I still think you need to be liked by the public overall that's true um, but that didn't seem to happen in the last election so we'll have to wait to see whether or not um what happens the next time and again people tire of all you know after a while of all of the confusion and all of the animosity and all of the swirl of uh of, of, of things that go around with it. And that's why people want to be able to, to like their leader. Um, so I think that's a big challenge for him, no matter how successful he, uh, he is legislatively or in negotiating treaties or on, um, you know, his influence on things, you know, on a global basis.
0: Right. And when I look at things objectively, I definitely like the guy. I don't dislike him on a personal level. I might not agree with a lot of what he says, but I definitely still support him and would support any president, uh, taking on that role, even though personally, I, I tend not to really like politicians too much.
1: Yeah. And he, he, and as a politician, which I know he's not, but he is really, um, cause that's the game that he's in. I mean, right. anybody who has gone up against him, you, you know, has found out he is absolutely vicious. Um, so i can see how people who are opposed to him have a vitriol and a, and a and a pent up hatred that just drives them crazy but you know the best way to if you're going to go after president trump is is not to play his game but to get him on the issues
0: i agree 100% and of course on uh, a side note gary have you gotten rid of your anger
1: have i got rid of my anger yeah um, well, uh, I think we all have some anger that that tends to pop up, and you, it's something that you work on all of the time. Uh, I think um, it's something that I'm always aware of. Um, but for the most part, uh, yeah, I think I've got it uh, under control. But, you know, it's always there, and it's something that you manage. We all have emotions.
0: Of course, and that's something I definitely love talking about here on the program asking individuals out there if they do carry this anger because it's it's really good to get rid of the anger even though it will stay with you no matter how hard you try to get rid of it it is basically installed into us since we are in a, in a way we are still animals and we yep. still get very emotional but we have to learn not to let those emotional uh, emotions come through rather and yep. lead us to make these bad decisions yep.
1: And then, not to confuse um hatred with passion as well, um so I think, oh yeah, are different can, yeah, they're mm-hmm. different, although sometimes they get conflated,
0: agreed, my goodness, Gary, it's been such a fascinating conversation. We are coming to the very near end of this chat, and it it's just flown right by
1: well it's been a it's been a very interesting wide ranging conversation, so uh, hoping that the uh, the audience we you know raised a little bit of curiosity and uh, uh hopefully challenged some of their thought and uh, also understanding that you know we're all not going to agree on everything and it's okay to agree to disagree that's kind of kind of one of the important things that we need to keep in mind
0: agreed so much it it's great to have this kind of conversation with you since we really can't have these type of conversations anymore without someone Wanting to punch the other guy in the throat.
1: Yeah, and we need to, we need to be able to pull it back again. If we can't, uh, have, uh, vigorous, uh, and controlled debate, then, uh, it's not going to end up with, um, uh, being nonviolent. I mean, if we have to be able to speak and speak honestly, um, but in, in, in a controlled way and a respectful way, so that it doesn't deteriorate into violence and, and unfortunately I think we're teetering on the edge of saying, you know, you have to believe what I believe or, you know, my mob's going to get you and we do not want to have that happen we need to we need to tone it down and we need to be respectful and we're not always going to to agree but we need to get back there
0: no doubt no doubt we've come so far away from what's important in life in my opinion no longer are we on the pursuit of happiness anymore
1: yeah it's it's unfortunate um and uh and 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 again i know i know there everybody has different views on things but uh we need to focus more on what we agree on than what we disagree on um and we're fortunate enough to have a democracy that we can vote uh the way we would like things to go and uh, again i i'm so concerned in terms of the lack of turnouts that is the trend over the last 40 or 50 years on declining turnout for voting And yet there's more polarization that goes with it. And that is not a good recipe.
0: Not at all. And, Gary, since we are coming to a close here, on a side note, what other things are you into besides, you know, biblical prophecy and the political spectrum? What other things do you have going for you in terms of, say, like a hobby of sorts?
1: Well, um, I would say that this does take up most of my time these days, but I, I know I love to play golf. Well, there I you love, go. Okay. Uh, I love I love hockey. I love to fish. Um, I like being at the lake in the summer. Um, so I've got a lot of passions, uh, obviously, uh, and, and again, have not been able to read as much as uh, I would have liked in the last couple of years with what I'm doing right now. But I, I love to read as well.
0: Amazing, so Gary, once again, I do want to thank you tremendously for being a part of the program. Please feel free to plug anything you'd like, and of course, leave us with any final word if you choose to do so
1: sure um if if anybody is uh, interested um, in In my book and wants to know, A, how to get a hold of me or how to get a hold of my book, I would guide someone first to my website, which is www.genesis6conspiracy.com. That's Genesis 6 with the number 6, conspiracy.com. And on there I have a generous excerpt of all 98 chapters of my book. And so you can get a good feel for it, and you can see some other interviews up there on different topics that I have up there that I've had interviews on. You you can also connect into barnesandnoble.com and amazon.com and into um, Kindle uh, if you're interested in in purchasing the book. And you can also buy a signed copy off that website uh, if you were interested in in, in a signed copy. Um, You can also follow me on Facebook uh, under Gary Wayne. Uh, and I have two Genesis 6 conspiracy pages and also have a Gary Wayne Genesis 6 conspiracy group where I post all things about, you know, giants and, uh, secret societies and how it works in end time prophecy in a very detailed way and also post a lot of my interviews. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Gary Wayne 63 at Gary Wayne 63. And if you do have a question, uh, get a hold of me through any of those avenues and there's an email on the website and I will get back to you if you have a question.
0: The book is Genesis 6 Conspiracy. Get that on Amazon. Gary Wayne, my God, what an amazing guest. I had so much fun talking to you about all these subjects. And of course, I, I had notes for all, all, all these things, but they all go out the window very quickly. Yeah, that tends to happen. <laughs> it really Especially does. When
1: we start, when you start digging deep into some of these subjects, it, it just, you just got to go with the flow because, uh, uh, they are some very interesting subjects once you get below the surface.
0: No doubt. My God, Gary, you did such a great job. We'll definitely have to do a part two in the near future, my friend.
1: Terrific. Well, thank you for having me and uh, invite me back
0: anytime. No problem. Take care and mahalo. Thank you. All right. Good night. That was Gary Wayne, ladies and gentlemen. My God, great guest. Of course, we will go on a little break. And on the second half, I'll be talking to another soul. Stay tuned. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Joining me on the line is Mark Stavish. What's going on, my friend?
2: It's great to be here. How are things in uh, in your world over there?
0: Everything is a okay over here on my side of heaven? Glad to hear it. Everything's flowing just right. And how are you, my friend? Is everything well for you? Nothing too troublesome, especially dealing with the hour that we're in? It's so late.
2: Well, other than drinking coffee at 1 a.m., you know, I mean, I don't know if it gets much better or worse than that. I mean, that's kind of a a discretionary issue there, but it's always good to be on radio, to be with some listeners who want to hear about the topic and who are interested in what we're going to say. And for those who are up late with me, I appreciate your team effort to hear about uh, what we're going to talk
0: about tonight. Oh, yes, and I've been looking forward to this for quite some time now. Again, you've been supposed to be scheduled since, like such a long time ago, and I apologize for that.
2: Yeah, we have rescheduled this uh, approximately four, maybe five times. Wow. And uh, that's really interesting because normally it's not common to get things bumped. And I want your listeners to hear this because it has to do with the, the, the topic tonight. Uh, you know, you will get bumped once or twice. It happens. It's normal when you do a lot of shows or when people are busy and, and they have lives. Stuff happens. However, with this particular topic, we have had an amazing amount of what we call, you know, paradrama, but really psychic interference. It really is. I mean, it is stunning how many times we've had shows interrupted, shows dropped. We've had to reschedule them at the last minute or several times. So I'm just glad that we're actually talking and not having your technician call me in a panic saying, we can't get through. We can't get through. Is there another line to call you on?
0: Well, over here on this side of the, uh, this side of heaven, I am the technician. So if I can't get it done, we are royally screwed. <laughs> and of course, since I am having such a rough night, earlier before the program even began, I literally cut my finger very badly, right before the show started, and there's blood all over the place, so it looks very cool in here.
2: Well, I, I'm sorry to hear that, but again, not surprised. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the entities must be fed, whether we like it or not.
0: That's the so. only thing I could even uh, contemplate at this moment. That's probably what's going on. But nonetheless, Mark, it's tremendous to finally get a chance to speak to you. And I thought it would be nice to get into some of your roots back into your trials and tribulations. I thought we could start there.
2: Well, uh, I think as uh, any of your listeners may know, if they've uh, read The Dust Jacket on any of my books, uh I'm the director, founder and director of studies of the Institute for Hermetic Studies. It's located in northeastern Pennsylvania, and we hold seminars and workshops. And we our big thing is our annual conference, really. And we do a lot of publishing uh, on esoteric themes, trying to fill niche areas that aren't often uh, well-developed, uh, hence our t- discussion tonight about Egregores, uh, the, my newest book from uh, Inner Traditions. And uh, my background is such that uh, I grew up in this environment – uh, my, uh, different family members going back several generations were involved in a variety of esoteric practices going back to central Europe. So, uh, I've always been around it in one way or the other and have been through a variety of different groups, uh, some most of the time pleasant, you know, and, uh, that brings us to tonight.
0: Understood. So growing up, your parents, they sort of brought you down this sort of path.
2: Well, not so much my parents, but my, it was on my, my maternal grandma, uh, my grandmother's uh, family. Uh, her great uncle, who I grew up next to, and uh, some of her sisters, they had some of the old school, uh, you know, card reading. And my mother had some, of course at the time was a bit of a hippie chick, so had an interest in astrology mm. and tarot. But it was really from uh, my grandmother's brother. Uh, who uh, introduced me to uh, German folk magic? Even my grandmother, to some degree. I mean, she had a blood-stained Bible, you know, where open to Ezekiel, you know, to staunch the blood and, and this kind of thing, and, and the magical use of the Psalms.
0: So, Very interesting.
2: You know, the, yeah. the reason why, but, but, but he oh, had connections ahead. and was in a variety of esoteric groups, all from the early to the mid 20th century. Um, and of course his father was well versed in German magic and folk magic and he had learned it, uh, of course there's the family myth- you know, tradition and mythology, you know, and he had learned, uh, it over in, uh, in
0: Europe. Yeah, it's strange because there's always this strange pattern that I always notice that it's always someone in the family much mm-hmm. early in another generation and this sort of interest is passed down to you somehow. And I'm, I'm the same way. It, it's happened to me too.
2: Yeah, it's, it's very common, and uh, it often, you know, kinda of, sorta of skips a generation to some degree, and that's okay. And I think people have some very strange ideas about, you know, how this goes uh, when they want to talk about family lines. I mean, often, it's, you have to have an interest in it. If you don't, it doesn't matter what you're born into. True. true. You just actually have an interest, and all, all that can do is give you an opportunity for better or worse.
0: And growing up, um Mark, would you say you are one of those people who were drawn into magic and to the occult uh, because you desired something. Were, were you one of those people that were seeking to belong?
2: Well my interest came very early. I mean it was extremely early. Okay. And very it was mostly okay. on the uh you know, the mysticism. Okay, and, and and kind of an interest in, you know, human what we call human potential. You know, what is, what are we capable of? What are, what's our our inner abilities that we can come to understand and realize? So um, my earliest experiences were along very just standard meditational practices and standard what we think of as more mystical approach. Uh, I mean, there was a ritualistic and magical, but it's different from what. Uh, many people would think of today, uh so my introduction to what many would think of as magic now, like you know standard modern ceremonial magic, wasn't until about uh i'm going to say maybe I have to check, but maybe around nineteen nineteen twenty nineteen or twenty, but prior to that, it had all been uh you know meditative practices and, and that oh, kind okay. of thing the reason- and, and and an introduction to the you know the philosophy you
0: know, I mean, right. Yeah. Right. This is, yeah, this is sort of the reasons why I'm asking you this sort of thing, because I'm always fascinated by the psychology aspect of of all the guests that I bring on here. And I like mm-hmm. to get inside their minds and see where they're at and, you know, how things really came to be. And I think I, I see a lot of some of my own philosophical viewpoints in you, Mark, which I found kind of fascinating. We're both really into the psychology of things, the archetypes and uh such. I, th- I think you could agree a little bit there.
2: Well, it's, the, the nice thing about the archetypes and, and how they fit into anything that we talk about, anything, is that they offer uh, a middle ground. They offer a, a center point because they are something that we experience uh very subjectively within ourselves, but they're bigger than us. Okay so there there's an there's aspects of them which are are uh, external to us which is, you know so when we talk about um collective ideas collective consciousness on some ways we're always drawing on that notion of uh, of an archetype on on some form so they're really a nice place to start because from there we can go in any direction some people get stuck there and we see that a lot with jungians They get into the notion of archetypes and really just get stuck there. It becomes an end in and of itself, a dead end. But you know, we really have to use that as an open uh, door, if you will, to both our own subjective experience, but as a means of entering into the subjective experiences of others and understanding them, and also as a a tool for understanding uh, objective realities.
0: I'm glad you see it that way because that's pretty much how I see it. If you let yourself get too involved into anything, that's when trouble will find you. I'm not sure if you feel that way, but I, I always say don't get too emotionally invested or involved in, in most things.
2: Yes. And that's really, um, an important point for, you know, when we talk about, you know, egregores and right. any, any group activity is, you know, how does that, Activity gets sustained and it's really through our emotional commitment. So we have to always look at any activity. Uh, we have to be full in. I mean, that's the thing about any esoteric practice, or really a cult practice, if you will. To get any results out of it, you need to be fully committed to it, at least for the period of time you're doing it, so there, there can be no incongruity. But then there's also the but or the behold the ultimate truth part. Whereas uh, when you're done, you're done. You know you let it do its thing. It's like planting a seed. You put a seed in the ground and, and you let it grow. You don't keep digging it up to see how it's coming along right and And many people, when they get involved in anything uh it becomes such an all consuming identifier for them and we see that a lot in in occultism uh if we didn't, if that wasn't the case, you wouldn't see so much uh so many occult themes in the media at the moment. And in the
0: programming and, and this all ties into what we see in the media, in the political realm, the identity politics, and I was just having this discussion earlier, which always just goes into everything I do here now, even though a lot of people do not like it when I venture off into the political realm, but politics rears its ugly face in every single aspect of our lives, whether we like it or not.
2: Well, and and that's because politics is is essentially defined as philosophy in action. Correct. So everyone has a philosophy, and and to get that out of the abstract and put that in this world of action, uh, you have to apply it in some fashion. And the question is, what we get to see is, you know, how well organized are these philosophical notions? Uh, And how, which is another way of saying, how clearly do you perceive reality? You know, that, that's really what we're asking. That's How clearly you perceive reality and your relationship to it, and others. And what we see is that often in the in the political arena, uh, since the purpose is the acquisition of power, because only with power can you achieve anything. Hence, why people go to magic. Why do they go to magic? Because you know they want something. I mean, you don't go there just for the fun of it. You right. go there because it, you want to see if it works. You want to see if you can you know uh, uh you know speed up your process of acquisition of blank whether it's getting smarter getting a new girlfriend getting a better car you know finding out your place in the cosmos you know whatever your motivation for magic is essentially it's power is behind it the acquisition of power in order to achieve the goal because if you had enough power to do it you wouldn't need magic to help you it would already be done
0: exactly and that's another reason why i always thought In a sense that, well, after I read plenty of things of the occult world and talked to many of people, many individuals rather that are just so deep in, I it just always goes back to almost like what Tesla basically said about energy and the vibration and frequency about the universe, and all of this has to do with self power and all all these all these sort of self help type guides like uh even the satanic bible is like one big self-help book in my opinion and people can agree or disagree with that but some of these things are just common sense and it made me ultimately think you know you don't need any of these sort of things you just really need the power of one the power of your own mind to manifest what you want in life and achieve that all the answers come from within you don't need to seek this sort of information from the outside. All everything flows from within. I'm not sure if you agree with that, but that's just kind of where I am today.
2: Well, you know, the Satanic Bible is funny because I, I have a, a, a small grudging respect for uh, for Anton LaVey. Right. I mean, um, he's just uh, the consummate showman. But um, I remember reading a story because I do have a background in therapy. It's, An addiction therapist for many years. Oh, really? And, uh, yes. And, um, one, you know, one of the stories I remember coming across when I was researching a paper, uh, was, uh, how this therapist, he had a, a client who was just so. His self-esteem, his self-respect, mm. his self-image was so poor. Yes. it was so atrocious. Not good. Yeah. That he said, I, "I've got to swing him like a 180 degrees to the other side, just so that he can find the middle ground." And he prescribed for him, you know, the Satanic Bible, you know, oh, just that's to try amazing. and get him to to be able to find some <laughs> middle ground. Uh, and you know, we laugh at that, but really, the, the notion of how do we find ourselves is what the path is all about. For everyone. Right, exactly. And the problem, though, is we need direction and instruction. Otherwise, we will fa- we'll fall into a myriad of errors. I mean, there are many things that go wrong on the spiritual journey. And that's why we, at the Institute, we, we published a monograph called Pathology of the Sublime. And it's about the things that can actually go wrong when you go on this path. and And we weren't the first to write about it, but... Oh, it just is often ignored in occult circles. Uh you know, Roberto Asangioli, the, uh, the founder of psychosynthesis, uh, he spoke about it because that was part of the experience. He was encountering with people, and we have seen some, some publications come and go on it. But the people who get involved in occultism, ritual magic per se, or various meditative disciplines, or even some forms of yoga, what you're doing is you're adding extra juice to the mix so you're adding more power to it you know you're putting more pressure on so these pathologies and obstacles they're going to arise more quickly because they should to get them out of the way but you have they will happen and so i would like to say that while ultimately the notion is self-resilience through self-awareness and self-knowledge and then self-actualization that is acting upon that awareness and knowledge you have to be prepared to uh, understand that um it takes a lot of training from others and experience to be able to really go it alone, which is kind of a good segue into, you know, when we talk about egregores, because people want to join groups they want to get teachings. They want to get instruction and they'll join a spiritual group to get that. And then the question arises, that was their intention. That was their goal. Maybe that was even the promise but what do they actually get? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But whenever we get involved with groups like that, what we can often do is, for better or worse, we can lose ourselves in them, and that can be very helpful, especially if we're very, you know, self centered or, or, or egotistical and you know arrogant. And ego's not bad, ego's just whatever we identify with. But we can often just identify too much with ourselves, our limited notion of self. And we're involved with a group. And then the group aims, the, the we, you know, the collective we becomes a new identifier, <laughs> and that oh, right. may or may not be working in your best interest.
0: Yes, and by the way, on a side note here, uh, I hate to say this, but I forgot to mention this. One of the books that I really did like that you uh, have out there is Between the Gates. That's a personal oh. favorite.
2: Yeah, well, thank you very much. You know, that was a very difficult book to get published for a variety of reasons. We ran into a tremendous amount of obstacles getting that out there. And, um, you know, I always say that's that's sometimes a good sign because that book has a really rich history behind it. And it is, I believe, the only one of its kind uh in terms of really laying out the totality of the past. Uh, you know we see this in a lot of systems where the all the all the practices are integrated in step by step, and you see them but in western esotericism uh because there is no such thing as western esotericism there's no such thing as the western esoteric tradition there 's the esotericisms or traditions it 's plural you know, but we often say it 's singular and it 's not and uh, so we have to make sure that we have a Continuity or connectivity between the various styles and stages of practice and how they relate. And that was really the purpose of that book to take you, show you how the the meditative experience, the dream experience, the out of body experience, and and hopefully theoretically the afterlife experience, these are all connected. And as, as, uh, Jean Dubuis stated, you know, in one of his writings, and really all of this is to give us the tools where we can create a sense of self that can withstand the awesome and awful pressures of nothingness.
0: Right. And of, know, and of course you did focus a lot in consciousness in the book.
2: Yes, because that's the foundation of everything. Uh, Agreed. And what we identify with, what we I believe ourselves to be is the defining factor of our experiences. And, uh, you know, in, in affirmations and self-help and new thought and all these different things, you're always told, you know, I am blank. And when Moses saw the burning bush and he said, you know, saw God in the burning bush and said to God, who are you? And the voice comes back, I am that I am. And I'm sure he felt that that was really clarifying of things. And uh, he hears that. But why is that important to us? Because I am is our state of being. It's actually really I I am that which is becoming, you know, is probably a better translation from what some people have told me. But the idea is I am and then blank. Whenever we fill in that blank, we fill in a qualifier or a limitation, which is fine because we need that to get through different day-to-day experiences, but around those qualifiers, we build up a whole identity very strongly. And what all esoteric practices are designed to do is to give us means and tools to overcome our narrow sense of self-concept. Because we may be those things, but only temporarily. But we hang on to them like they're permanent.
3: That's right. Yeah.
2: So so how do we get flexible enough to be, to exist, in this changing environment? Uh of of the cosmos and when I say cosmos I mean both the physical and invisible the visible and invisible domains
0: by the way marker would you say you are following your true cosmic will I hope so That's something we all try, I mean I, hope to I, I think the question <laughs> is
2: such I me cosmic is mean to me is universal That's right you know so what is universal I know that I can follow my my will my choices my right. for, how does the force of life push through me, and and how do I act accordingly, I know that within that context, I am following it. But whether it's, uh, I wouldn't necessarily put the word cosmic on it, I just know that it's mine. I will, I feel... And and hopefully uh that it's it's a benefit to to others along the way. I think maybe when we throw the word cosmic on, maybe that's what we mean, that that it's somehow a benefit just beyond me.
0: Well, sometimes I feel, and when I say this, my interpretation and my perception of this question, when I ask this to several guests, I, I see it as the way that I do feel connected to the Earth, and I also do feel connected to the cosmos out there, the universe. I feel that we are all one, essentially, but we all have a different path to follow in life. And when I say the cosmic true will is, is the ultimate... Uh, perception of the goal the absolute meaning and definition of why you are here sometimes we go on through life not finding that answer and some of us magically do well
2: i think that uh, this is true and again why do people come to any type of spiritual or psychological or self-help practice is because they feel a level of discontent right the that feeling of not belonging is that sense that I am, I, there's something else that either I want to be doing or that, and here the, the moral imperative of should, should be doing. And I don't really know what that is and I need to discover it. And,
0: uh, I think that's one of the main issues we have here in society, why we see the anger, the hatred in most of man's heart, uh, even though that does sound kind of corny. But it is kind of the reality where man is wolf to man, and there's lots of anger. And, Mark, have you gotten rid of your anger?
2: We can never get rid of our anger. Uh, I agree with uh, that. I think all we can do is uh, transform it in some way or recognize it, because ah, yes. uh, anger is um, it, it is at times a, a very good motivator. Uh, we look at uh, someone like Michelangelo, and they, they asked him why he was so – what was his driving force? And it was because my anger is what drives me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just, just look at anyone who uh, suddenly gets in an argument with their spouse. Next thing you know, their, their house is nice and clean. So I, I think that energy, that, that energy of action, uh, is, is, is something that we, we don't want to get rid of. Um, the question is, does it become destructive? Right. And, uh, and is it directed? Outward, which we call anger, or inward, which we often, you know, is a kind of uh, depression or frustration that we that develops from in anger directed inward. Now, I just want to say that because you know our, our energies of life are very strong and powerful and vital.
0: I agree. Yes.
2: And and we have to make sure that we don't uh, we don't want to whitewash them too much.
0: Mm-hmm. Good point. We want to deal with them. Good point. Uh, Mark, by the way, are, are you religious?
2: In the sense that I I follow a particular uh, formal religious denomination, Uh, no. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I do have a degree in theology. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call myself uh, religious in the sense that I I go to a particular church or not. Understood. I did try to look around. You know, when my children were young, I went to many churches looking for Sunday school for them. Mm -hmm. But that was... uh, that was an interestingly and, and funny fiasco.
0: Hey, tell me more. That's where I, I was heading. I, I know you have children, and um, how are you introducing religion to them? I don't have any kids, so I kind of find this kind of interesting on my side.
2: Well, the best thing is you don't really introduce it to them so much as they're just exposed to it. And, and they, they look at it, and it's it's difficult, Um It is very difficult for, for children today, uh, of any really, I'd say for anyone under 35, it's difficult because the, or even 40 with some, because of the uh, environment which they've been exposed to intellectually. Yeah. Um, it is a mass of contradictions. Now, of course, you know, I get to hear some of the funny things that my kids say that would just be appalling to, uh, uh the, you know the, the politically correct out there I see but they see the contradiction and they laugh at it you know and it and their friends do as well um, but the problem there is getting them to actually uh see values and things and take anything seriously, uh particularly when you know your uh, your teachers are for the most part uh
0: you could say it's a okay.
2: spiritual i'm looking for the right word. Oh, okay. they're a spiritual you know you know or or if they or or they see you know a lot of or they're constantly criticizing uh in some subtle or overt manner you know the uh religion and they see that in the media too so much you know where religion is constantly a a subject of derision now there are things which they do see and they they have a they they find appealing on occasion you know, the more kind of metaphysical stuff that might happen in some of the, in the stories. But that's not always enough. You know, that's not enough. They need to see living examples. And uh, the, the way they're the, – the current environment is not one that really uh, engenders that very well. It doesn't it doesn't encourage uh, youth or adolescents to actually respect authority enough to want to follow a path. Because you have to respect authority to follow a path to get any instruction in anything.
0: Did you respect authority growing up? Well, of course. I know I didn't.
2: And, yeah, we didn't really have much of a choice in some ways.
0: Well, I still acted out.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, but there are consequences. Sure. And those consequences don't exist
0: for most kids anymore. Now that's a hundred percent true. And my God, I just think every day it must be difficult to have kids and you always have to worry about what the teacher nowadays is trying to indoctrinate them with.
2: Yeah, it is. Uh of course, um you know, one of my sons, uh, he's very funny, he has some of the most hilarious observations and uh, you know, his uh he was telling me about what goes on at his school. Uh oh. And how the but you know about the the Russian teacher, and I said uh, <laughs> the Russian story. teacher. And I said, okay. I said, well, you know, the, he's probably the only alpha male in the whole place. And uh-huh. that's why they like him. But that's important there. You know, we joke about it in laugh on. But children, and particularly young men, automatically recognize the authority.
0: You know on what? Some level. I'm so glad you said that because it reminds me a lot of when I was just a little boy going through elementary school. And I noticed the other the other boys in the school. Um, I noticed, you know, during recess you really couldn't uh play rough with them, you really couldn't, you know, pick on them a little bit. Mm Roughhouse. And what I realized much later on in life is these kids were they belonged to single parent households and they only had either a grandmother or just a mother and they never really had a father figure. And I also noticed that they were a little bit more feminine. So that's why you really couldn't roughhouse with them. And hearing that now just totally reminds me of all of that.
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, when we look at, you know, the the lessons that we're we're, we're teaching our children, they all have, you know, good intention. But, you know, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. And uh, when we're trying to find (laughs) out what is the, the way to introduce children to spiritual concepts, that always begins first and foremost in the home. Uh, the problem though is they're not in the home much and they're in school and, and they're looking at exposed to media and social media. So what are the messages that they're getting and and what is the time that is set aside for contemplation or meditation? Even if they see it, it doesn't necessarily mean they, they do it. So what one hopes is when you expose your children to these ideas that they will come back to them at some point in life, but not just come back to them because The ideas are neat and interesting. That's not enough of a reason. But because the people who were involved with those ideas were reasonable. They were successful. They were pleasant. Uh, they had qualities and characteristics that maybe you didn't like or understand, but at least you respected and trusted them. You know, and, and this is, uh, that is what says, oh, these ideas work. These teachings Work, so maybe there's something here that is worth exploring on my
0: part. Understood. It must not be too easy having a child nowadays. Overall. No, no, it's not. Yeah,
2: I hear. I don't think it ever was. It's just a different different challenge.
0: This era now, especially though, very difficult. Especially nowadays, where you have to worry about your child being shot at school.
2: Well, you know, and again, it all depends on what school you go to in districts. No. You know, a lot of those things uh, have a role to play. I mean, we had, uh, you know, my son in his senior year at his school, there was a bit of a, there was a scare. Really? And, uh, yeah, I remember it. It oh. was not, and and at the same time, there's a part of you is like, oh, okay, here we go. You <laughs> know, it's, I'm not really, I don't, I'm not really believing it. And uh, at the same time, you know, there's a little bit of concern. But, uh I think when you look at other people, and again, what are your children in as their environment? What are you in as your environment? You know, this leads us back to how do we as individuals express ourselves and why do we express ourselves in the way that we do? And it has a great deal to do with that notion of uh, what are we exposed to as ideas, what is rewarded, and um, what do we identify with?
0: You know, I blame and, a lot of this on uh, on television, I believe a lot of this is the influence of television and peers.
2: Well, in occultism, you know, you you have three things that you look at. You know, in in, in Buddhism, they call it the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, meaning the, the 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 enlightened teacher, uh, the enlightened teachings, and the community of the faithful. And you know, that's just a way of looking at you know the teacher, the teachings, and the and that the, the community that you work with, what is the song of a group of people who are on the path that you're with? And, you know, in, in Freemasonry, they, they call this the household of the faithful. And, of course, those are your lodge members that you're immediately with. And, you know, studies have shown that we become like the five people we spend the most time with.
0: I agree. And by the way, I, I forgot to mention that you are a Freemason.
2: Yes, yes. Under the Great Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania.
0: Very nice. And yeah. h- how's that been for you, that sort of experience? All well?
2: Oh, it's always mixed, but it's wonderful. I, I, uh, enjoy masonry. Uh, almost everyone I know who's in it uh, has enjoyed it. I wrote a book on it that's in four or five languages. And, uh, I can't really say enough about it, particularly in terms of what its benefit is to, uh, to young men. My son is in, uh, D. Malay, which is uh, one of the Masonic youth organizations, and I see all the young men in his chapter, and, uh, the girls who are associated with, uh, the assistant chapter of, uh, Rainbow Girls, and it's just amazing to watch them grow as people, because they have experiences that they simply wouldn't have otherwise. And uh, it's just uh, I can't say enough about it.
0: OK, so it's been overall a pretty positive experience. Oh, very much so. That's good, then.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's always the usual uh, organizational annoyances, but that's just with anything you get involved
0: with. Very true. And by the way, Mark, are you aware that when you Google your name, uh, there's a picture of a, a show host that appears on the right hand side of the screen there? That's not you.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, who, yeah, who is that? Now that's, uh, that's Rob McConnell, I think that pops up, isn't it? Yeah, I think something he shows like
0: up. Yeah, yeah I, th- I thought, hey, that's not Mark.
2: I, I, it's just the way it goes. I was on his show a couple months ago, and then I was on it previously, I think, twice before, uh, over the last ten years. So, uh, I guess someone just pulled it off his site or something, and Well, wow, it's me. (laughs) They
0: screwed up. I mean, I'm like looking at that saying, hey, that's not Mark. He doesn't have that mustache. No. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. My goodness. I just thought I'd bring that up for you because I, I think Google needs to really get on the ball here and actually put up your photo. I mean, come on.
2: Well, let's keep a little mystery about it and then uh ah, true, then, true. Then we'll see we'll see what stories grow about me over, <laughs> over the years
0: well i mean again, this is probably a good thing because then you don't want people going back to when you were in junior high and uh you know bringing up some dirt on you there
2: well that that's an intriguing uh question uh you know what, what is it uh that we have in in terms of media and access to information and communication? and particularly with regards to uh you know esoteric and spiritual topics but primarily uh those things focusing around you know esoteric leadership um it's very easy now to to go back and and, and get a lot of information on people for better or worse or that may or may not be accurate or or even contextually understood so it's it's stunning how the um the internet. Uh I always say the internet is really just a exteriorization of Yasod, you know, for those who study Kabbalah. Mm. It's just an exteriorization of the the unconscious or the psychic mind. Because it's just this a wash, this sea that you can wander and get lost in and, and drown in facts and information and fantasies and, and never achieve anything. Or you can actually if you stay focused, you know, go do something and accomplish and achieve something, you know, learn new things, get educated achieve goals, Um, it really is a reflection. The Internet is really a reflection of the collective consciousness on many levels.
0: And I agree with you 100%. I actually had that named on my Twitter feed. I called it the collective, which is referring to Jung's work. And I I agree with you uh, tremendously, which is why I did want to bring you on the program. Someone had suggested you, one of my listeners, And just listening to you, I thought, yeah, he makes uh, more sense than a lot of people do who talk about these subjects. Because Mark, to be one hundred percent honest with you and transparent, I I normally don't like to speak to too many people that are in this sort of subject matter, solely because I think some of them are kind of lost in their own in their own thoughts and their own world, and they're not. Well, when you
2: say this subject matter, you mean occultism, or uh... yeah,
0: in occultism. People that are channelers, sometimes I, I just feel that some of them are a little lost in their own, uh, perspective worlds and they're not really living in reality at times.
2: Oh, it's very easy. You can get it's lost. Very it's very easy. And this is where the importance of good teachings and a good teacher and, and good discipline in your practice. Right. Is a critical? Because without that, um, you know, there's a mistaken idea that this is without danger. Now, let me tell you. Everyone should have a spiritual practice. I I believe that, so I want that to be understood. You have to find the practice that's best for you. Now, there are some generalities about what is good practice that is is okay, and you know. So, there are some basic things which everyone can do that are we're going to say relatively harmless. Okay. However, once you start pushing the boundaries of yourself, which is your choice to do or not do. But that depends on the, the, the things you do, the practices you pick and the, what you want out of it. Once you start pushing those boundaries, uh, you know, things get stirred up. And if you don't have a good anchor point, it is easy to get lost in uh delusions of, you know, the sense of self-importance or, you know, so-called visions or, or just go down the laundry list. Whatever it is, so it's on there and it, it is uh, – you need to stay grounded. You need to have a you need to have a day job as we say.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. My god, Mark. Um a lot of what you say resonates with me, which is another reason why I wanted to bring you on.
2: Well, I I think when we when we look at the unconscious or the collective consciousness, you know, what we're looking at is in terms of group activity, what we often refer to as I said, you know, an egregore. And people ask, what is an egregore? And it is just that. It is a social control mechanism. And uh, we encounter these wherever we go. You now, When you go to work, there's a corporate culture. And that corporate culture is essentially a social control mechanism. When you go to a, uh, a religious organization of some kind, it is a denomination. And therefore, has certain ideas that it holds to others which it puts aside, and some which it blatantly rejects. Therefore, it is a social control mechanism. Same with politics. Same with all this stuff. Right. And so when we get involved with groups, we have to be aware of that. Often people aren't, or they kind of know it, but it's not explicit. So it's always just something, you know, it's like an itch they can't scratch. It's there, and they recognize it, but they don't know what it is. So when we get involved with these things, we say, okay, these are the limitations, but now why do they exist? What's the benefit of these limitations? It's like guide rails on the road. They're a limitation that keep you from going into the crevasse, okay? You go to a university and you want to get a degree in engineering, there's a limitation on how many art classes you can take. You know, and still graduate in four years with a degree in engineering or something else. So limitations, I want to make understood, are good. Our whole existence is based on the notion of limit, a foundation of our individualized existence or awareness. That's the basis of our enlightenment. But then from there, you know, what do we get out of these involvements? And politics and religion are the two greatest manipulators of these social control mechanisms or egregors. And with them, uh, playing on our essential needs. As we talked about earlier, why do people come into this? Well, they, they feel like they want to get something. They want to improve themselves, or they want to expand on their lives, or they want to be helpful.
0: Yeah. They want to have meaning. Money, power,
2: well, meaning. Yeah, right. and, and essentially, your goodwill gets abused.
0: And no good deed goes unpunished, <laughs> as they say.
2: And at times, it seems that way.
0: Right. And, of course, your new book, Egregores, The Occult Entities That Watch Over Human Destiny, definitely pick that up, ladies and gentlemen. Mark is here live and direct, and he's an amazing guest and an amazing author, really. He does a tremendous job. Definitely check out his work. And, yeah, Mark, a fantastic discussion so far. And, again, you know, these are things I don't often like to talk about with certain people. Because I've noticed lots of individuals out there, even though I get criticized for um, allegedly I give softball questions, but what people don't understand is that lots of times these guests that I bring on they get very angry at some of the subject matter I throw them, and sometimes they um they get very emotional at times behind the scenes
2: well um you write a book, you do an interview, you're a semi-public figure, you never know what's going to come your way, you know. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Um uh, you know, one of the, the things about this topic or any esoteric topic is we're always pushing the margins of reality. We're always, you know, touching on, on, on what is limits, what are boundaries. And, uh, with that, uh, we have to make sure that we have a, a stable center point, which is, of course, what a good meditative and, and spiritual practice gives us. But also with that common sense, uh, some good reason, you know, and in, in reasoning ability and in logic. Oh boy. Education.
0: Oh boy. Common and, sense. That's something that we see the lack of today in society. Common sense.
2: Well, because what we do is you see the way these social control mechanisms work, particularly whether it's through advertising uh, or social media platforms or uh, anything is to trigger an emotional response. We want to bypass your thinking part of your brain, and we want to hit you with the emotional part. We want to trigger that.
0: That's the mind control you talk about in Chapter 3 of your book.
2: Yes, and it's just straightforward. I mean, we do this all the time with each other. We often just don't recognize it.
3: Yeah, You do that all the time,
2: especially with kids. You know, be good, you know, or Santa won't bring you blank. Correct. Be good, and Santa will bring you blank. One is a movement away. The other is a movement towards. But the goal is the same, to get the child to act in a particular way. And they are under the belief that if they do that, then Santa will bring them something.
0: Yeah, that award system, the reward type uh, deal there. Now, the same but way, we're, uh, but we're
2: not talking to them rationally. We're not right. explaining to them because it's not working. They don't have the cognitive ability to fully grasp it. But what they do have is a rich emotional ability. So you're hooking into that. Well, that doesn't really change. Even though people can suppress their emotions, they're still there. And all we do in advertising, or in any kind of promotion or marketing, or even in spiritual practice is to hook into those and direct them along a particular course of expression.
0: By the way, I'm getting messages here that people want your book. Wonderful. Yeah, they're really liking it which is again fantastic and mind control through media is something that I always talk about. And I credit that to going back to going back to just the earliest of times when potions and uh that sort of thing was going on through the ancient times and of course through Joseph Mengele, who I credit a lot to lots of mind control tactics, um, which we see time and time again, even through the media, Uh, I always say the media is what really controls the the masses, those who go to work their nine-to-five jobs and they're content with their TV dinners. That's all they care about.
2: Well, and it's difficult to care about much else because increasingly the, the the financial pressures on of such are so crushing.
0: Right, that's another that you know when,
2: when your when your health insurance costs more than your mortgage, um, you know that's that's a crushing responsibility. Oh yeah, and and you know of course you know universities are just you know these ridiculous. Cash machines you know charging forty thousand dollars a year or more fifty thousand dollars a year, and that doesn't even include dorm you know you have a some of them are upwards to seventy and eighty thousand a year so you know this the this social structure that many people encounter uh, is is geared towards a kind of treadmill existence now it always was I think that needs to be made clear it always was, but what we're seeing now is it is harder to get off it and just live something that represents a uh, a satisfied life. And, and what, am I, what I mean by that is, you know, there was a time when you could pretty much just, you know, get up and leave and go over the hill or there was some place you could go somehow, some way, or, you know, jump a ship and, and end up somewhere else. Things are so interconnected now technologically that it is very difficult to get out of the web, outside of the system.
0: The matrix system, yeah. Yeah. It's true. It it is really true. And, again, it makes me really worry a little bit about the next coming wave of humans that are going to be introduced to this planet. And they'll be basically victims of this sort of society where you can trouble for something you did years ago that does not reflect on the character that you uh, grew to be
2: well I understand that concern however that is all completely contingent upon things technologically uh staying the same or getting better and that is contingent upon uh a lot of resource and political issues uh, You know, things change, and complex systems break, and they break easily.
0: By the way, Mark, are you cool with taking a call? Oh, sure. Let's go. Okay. Well, if anybody wants to call in, that number, for those who are listening, that number is 760-332-8724. One more time, 760-332-8724, or on Skype, end of day's mic, uh, please go ahead and call in now if you want Uh, Go ahead, Mark. I'm sorry about that.
2: No, it's great. I hope we get some uh, callers. It would be wonderful or maybe send you an email or a text message. And uh, one of the things that we look at, particularly when we're involved, I tell folks in organizations, is is always look at, you know, what is your reason for joining and what is it that you you hope to get out of it? And always remember that. Always write it down. And if at some point you think that this organization is taking up too much of your your energy and your time, it's too dominating – and usually, by that, I would mean a religious or a spiritual or a uh, political activity. Because, as I said earlier, they're the ones that tend to be the most insidious, the most all-consuming. You know, the, the PTA can take a lot of time, but it doesn't consume your your, your life in the same fashion. You know, uh, and I know people who've dedicated themselves, who dedicated their lives to uh, running sport youth groups like Boy Scouts or something of that. And I mean, just for decades because of their own children and they stayed on and they kept it going and a real pillar of the community types. Okay, but it's not the same degree of philosophical and emotional, you know, absorption that you see in the utopian vision dreams of politics or many religious or even metaphysical groups. I say to people, if if you think it's getting too much for you, just do this simple test. This is all you need to do.
0: Right, and by the take way, all the oh, just
2: take all the stuff involved, like all the pictures or statues or books, any of the memorabilia that you tend up cluttering your life with or accumulating, and just put in a couple of boxes and stick it in your closet for a month, and just notice how different you feel when you're no longer exposed to those images and the thoughts and feelings that they unconsciously bring out in you all the time.
0: yeah, that's pretty good. Advice there, and uh, there was a caller, but I'm not sure what happened to them. Let's see if we can get them back. Yeah, they were ready to go, and then they faded away. Ah. That's really too bad. Well, anyways, let, let's continue on here, and you were talking about politics for a minute there, and I'm curious now how you see society as a whole, uh, going, w- right now, what we're going through, this whole sort of um paradigm that seems to have shifted in the past five years or so it seems more people are a lot more vocal they're a lot angrier now
2: Uh, right and and that's encouraged i mean you have to understand that's an orchestrated and encouraged phenomena so i always encourage people to not do it i mean i always just had a discussion with someone uh maybe an hour and a half before we came on and it was you know i just made a question a statement of look you know, please give me some facts. I mean, the statement is—it's broad. It's a broad generalization. It's—it's it's essentially meaningless because we need facts in order to have any real discussion. And you know, that was at the third exchange, you know, in the in the dialogue. And then they came back and were rude and vulgar to me. And of course, someone stepped in, saying that was you know, not uh, not going to be tolerated. But that's common. if you ask most people the third or fourth question about something, that's when they tend to get emotionally distraught if they're not really grounded in what they're saying because or if they don't actually understand it, okay because up until then, it's just uh slogans that they're regurgitating or stating back to you. They may do it very well and they may do it very nicely, but it's it's no different than talking points from a from a media talking head. They're just, you know, either on social media or they're in front of you or somewhere doing it. So when you ask people, you know, questions, usually by the third or fourth question, fourth, especially by the fifth question, that's when you see what, what their true face is. That's when they really start to get irritated if if they re- have not really thought about the material and actually understand or grasp what they're saying. So this uh, irritation and this frustration and anger is actually cultivated and is being uh, encouraged because it it allows a chaotic disruption. And then whenever people have experienced a great deal of chaotic disruption, then they are more quickly and unconsciously willing to support uh, someone or something that appears to be uh, a stabilizing factor.
0: By the way, I believe we have a caller on the line. Uh, Caller, are you alive out there?
4: Uh, (laughs) Rumor has it. (laughs) <laughs> ah, there you
0: are. So you are alive. What's going on, caller? Did you have a question for Mr. Mark here?
4: Mark? Yes. Hello, Mark. Yes. Hello. Go ahead. Your uh, your guest appearance tonight is so awesome. Um, There's so much I've, I I had been wanting to ask you about the sublim- subliminal programming of commercialism. But you were just talking about lately there is this essence of feeling in the air of angst, and I have been feeling it so strong. I I think I am What? oh, God, I hate saying this because it sounds so sappy, but I think I'm an empath because I feel other people. And right now I am feeling so much angst and frustration in the air, And it's really really pushing me down.
3: I understand. Um,
4: uh, Yes, I'm the one who mentioned to uh, Mike, I want to buy your book. Or I'll I'll gladly accept an autographed copy as a gift. No. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Definitely want to get your book back. To look at your
2: point that that you've raised. uh, You know, this notion of empathy is uh, extremely important uh, as part of our spiritual and psychological maturation. We have to feel a certain sympathy for other people. Uh you know, as we say, you know, try to understand their perspective on things. Uh that's how we mm-hmm. can have mature dialogue and grow as people. It doesn't mean we agree. That's not the purpose is to agree. The purpose is to understand. And exactly. I mean, that's a different level. And exactly. when you someone like yourself who is who is feeling this emotional pressure, uh this psychic pressure uh the best thing that i can say to you is okay that's fine that you feel it and that's good because that means you're 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 open you're opening as a human being to these to these subtle inner energies and that's wonderful just let it go don't let it weigh on you you know offer it no resistance and just you know take it you know as you as you have your spiritual life your prayer or church or whatever you go to meditation uh just uh you know bring it to that and and know that It'll be resolved, and that this is this is part of your awakening to human suffering, and that as that happens, you don't let it, you don't wallow in it, but you pray and send goodwill and hope for the best for its resolution for others. We don't know how that's going exactly. to be, but we we just want the best for others.
4: Well, it isn't it isn't trying to get control or power over others. And I think there's, there's a lot of that going on with what's going on right now. It's, there is so much panic because the loss of control on, in some aspects is really heavy and there is that grabbing. I'm losing control and I need to control something. I need to control you. And no, you don't need to control anything but your own life. And well, that's not, it. And not, that's why not you specifically, it,
2: but you uh generically well yes, and that's that's my point is that if you if you take these feelings into your into your spiritual practice, that is the only thing you can control is your own life, and that's why I say it to you because you may very well do this, but there may be other people listening out there who who haven't done that yet and and so they're feeling out of control. Uh, and they they want to stop, but they want to reach out and 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 turn the volume down on society. but the reality is we can 't do that we can 't turn the volume down on society. What we can do is not let the volume affect us in a negative that, way and, true, and but... do our best to to be good examples of of someone who is you know kind. But uh, compassionate, but not in a, in a stupid way, you know, in and in, a, in an intelligent way. In
4: a, not in a and, happy way.
2: <laughs> yeah, and and at the same time, you know, is is uh, reliable and honest and true and all those good qualities that uh, you know different philosophical and religious systems are, are telling us to uh, to to inculcate and to develop. Just be a good example, and that's all we can do.
4: Exactly. It's, it's, uh, walking your own path, uh, in a way that you are demonstrating, but not, but not telling someone, this is how you live your life. It's walking your life as an example. This makes me happy. Uh, give it a shot.
0: Yeah. That's following your cosmic true will, uh, going through what you perceive as, is- right and meaningful to you.
4: Right. Would you agree with that? But I'm just
0: That that's really
2: all we can do. Right. And um to What
4: what I wanted to ask you though is when I am getting these uh, uh there's a lot of, ne- lot of negativity I'm feeling bouncing back and forth and there are a couple are kind of directed to me and I know better. But at the same time, I'm God. Um, I'm not as advanced at you as as you apparently. (laughs) But and I know it's just sending them love back. But sometimes it really hurts, and sometimes you want to smack them back. And I know that's just gonna set up a great big old smackdown cage fight, and I don't want that.
2: Well, you know, often we have to accept the fact that um, some people. For reasons we don't understand, uh, may think ill of us.
4: Exactly. Uh, yes.
2: And that's, but that's just okay. I, I know. You, know you just, you don't. You, it, they, it's just the way it is. You can't change them. Uh, it'd be and nice if you could, but you can't. So we, we just have to, we just have to ignore it. You know. And, and you know, you wish them the best. There's a lot of people. I wish everyone the best. Uh, but in doing so, doesn't mean that I. Pretend that I don't have enemies. I do have enemies, but
4: it's still, it's I don't. Still, but I, don't it's I don't worry okay about it. To, I don't think about it. It's still okay I just to just go have on with compassion my life. For your enemies, what was that? I said, but it's still okay to have compassion for your enemies.
2: Sure, sure, because just be, you know, as long as because uh, that's how we grow as a person. You know, uh, occasionally I'll come across some. Writings that someone will say things about me or they'll critique a book poorly as if they didn't even read it and, uh, or, or things will be said. And I just, you know, well, why do they do that? You know, why does that happen? But you know what? I just don't, I don't worry them. about it. I just don't worry about it. I just, you know, wish them the best and, and get back to what I need to, you know, get back to doing my dishes or, or taking care of my kids. <laughs>
4: Thank you so much, Mark. It's been a pleasure talking to you and I do want to get your book and I don't know if I can afford it, but no, that's not a hint. Um yeah, I sure hope you give us all the information because I really want to get it.
2: Well, get it off Amazon or you can get it ordered from your local bookstore.
4: Yeah, thank I'll you for do your that. call.
0: Really appreciate it.
4: Well thank you, Mark, for being on tonight. I appreciate that.
0: Thank you. Right, bye bye. And there goes the caller there, and very interesting yes i I thought that was a pretty good call, yeah,
2: well, it's you know people experience the impact of these psychic energies that's true uh, that they're around them, and again, whether it's through what they're experiencing through the media or in their neighborhood or in their their church or their social group or their political organization uh these psychic energies are are very real things, they're not make believe and um Although people can exaggerate them or, or delude themselves about them, but the fact is they, they are real. And, uh, you know, that is really what the book is talking about. How these energies take on a life of their own. And, uh, you know, develop a, a relationship with us. Right, and, and, of that course, re- and that relationship is inherently parasitic. Yeah, that's the, the point.
0: True, true. And of course, Mark, you have to pick and choose what you allow inside. Uh, that gets you triggered or emotional or upset, Uh you really do have to discern and be, I guess, larger than certain words. Oh, very much so. I
2: mean, you know, in, in occultism, they say the, the first virtue is discrimination, and, and that's just day-to-day life. The first virtue you have to learn is this or that, and if this, why this? If not that, why not that? And that's just it. And whether it's you know why you shouldn't be eating a you know, a, a quart of haagen ice cream for breakfast, <laughs> or, you know, you know, or or whatever else it happens to be, you know, we we have to learn discrimination because what that means is actions have
0: consequences. <laughs>
2: that's really what we're telling you: actions have consequences.
0: Oh yes. And I I know that firsthand. Lots of things I say really do upset people. I've gotten death threats and all sorts of uh, things, but that doesn't deter me from doing the program. It actually makes me want to do it even more. Yeah. <laughs> how sick is that, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, 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 phone call don't
2: don't scare. It. If you scare that easily, you don't be on the radio. <laughs> exactly.
0: You got to have a pair, Mark. Yeah and um definitely you are proving that you are an alpha not a beta which i appreciate tremendously it's good to see that you are a man of of many men and i don't mean that in the you know soft kind of way <laughs> it, it's just really good to see that because i believe 100% that there is a war on men and masculinity in this country
2: well, I, there is, and it's interesting. You know, we have to kind of put it in a certain context. Correct. And uh, you know, when we look at the esoteric teachings, uh, particularly going back to the French occult revival, uh, which is actually goes back earlier to the to the Renaissance. I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly where it comes from, but the idea was is that. You know, there are essentially three ages, and that's a particularly Christian notion. But what matters to us is that the next age would be the age of the paraclete, or the Holy Spirit. Well, within esotericism, the Holy Spirit is always a female, okay? It is, you know, the shekinah, the female aspect or presence yeah. of God. Now, within Christianity, that's, of course, not the case. They believe, in, and particular Catholicism states, that the, the personhood of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all male. Uh, which is kind of interesting in its own way. Yes. But the, the notion is here that there's this female essence or energy. Now, when we say female, uh, that gets very easily simplified. Okay, However, it will manifest or show expression in this notion of uh, some form of economic and political equality. Now, the problem is men and women are not equal because if men and women were equal, uh, there wouldn't be two words for them. Okay. There would be one, it would be called hermaphrodite. Right. Okay. So we have to understand that equality under the law, uh, is not the same as, uh, equality in terms of interchangeable, in terms of characteristics and traits.
0: By the way, as soon as of you course, said that, as soon as you said that, I had the vision of Baphomet in my head. <laughs> I'm not sure how that happened, but it did. <laughs>
2: Well, it comes from the same period. You know, Eliphaz Levy was talked a great deal about this, the age of woman. And this was wonderful because, uh, what it means is that the, we're seeing a certain, uh, equalizing of the disparity that existed. But a lot of that equalizing is also possible because of technological advances, which is, of course, a good thing. Right. Um, at the same time, what we're seeing is, uh, not so much an expression of what it means to be a woman as much as an attempt to negate what it means to be a man. So we're seeing this strange uh, phenomena taking place where there is a strong denigration of uh, what does it mean to be a man or masculinity. And that's always been questionable because, of course, the idea of man and woman – in terms of archetypal qualities has always been terribly simplified, you know, terribly two dimensional, right? So trying to bring some subtlety and complexity to this is difficult now. And I see it all the time. I said, I tell my kids, I don't care what you get told. I'm going to tell you, first of all, all women want an alpha male. That means they want someone who's going to achieve. Right. So get that understood. Secondly, They all want a gentleman. So hold the door, say please and thank you, and show common courtesies and manners. So if you do that, you're already ahead of the game. Now, there would be a lot of people who just say, well, that's just being polite or nice. Well, that's true, but the notion of specialness that it does to the other person in the relationship is the key to that relationship. You see, everything involves around you or the person you're dealing with whether it's the spouse or the client or the child or even each person that forms a mass of people in your audience is feeling special. That's why as a speaker, when you address a live audience, you look at individual people in the audience because then they feel special. So, you know, you can consider that as a manipulation or you can consider it as relationship building. I don't care. It doesn't matter. But these are certain psychological and fundamental realities that we can deny but we cannot get around. So, um, you know, what we need to do is what does it mean to have healthy young men? What does it mean to have healthy young ladies? And I see that exemplified quite well, as I said earlier, such as in these Masonic youth movements like D. Millet and Rainbow Girls. But others out there as well that I'm unfamiliar with, I'm sure have them as well.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it exists, but again, it's that sort of problematic conundrum that we see in society where we have this unbalanced sort of feminine and masculinity, uh, or masculine energy that's just very unbalanced in society?
2: Well, well, unfortunately what we see is um, characteristics, like one of the things I've I've noticed is uh, everything is, civilization I forget who said this, but civilization is a constant battle against vulgarity. And, you know, when we look at media, you know, what do we consider female role models? OK, Uh they're basically a mirror image of male role models. OK, Uh they could do violence, too. Of course. That's I mean, that's really what it comes down to. They can do violence, too. And we really need to wrap our head around that. I mean, that's that's the model or it's a individualism that is only possible under extreme conditions, and one of them being the extreme wealth that we we generally have in the Western world and developed nations. And that is, I don't need anyone else. I don't need family. I don't need children. You know, that biological imperatives can be ignored and overcome. And we see that, of course, with, with both men and women, that notion. And no, so if you want to have a healthy society, you, you have to promote, you know, healthy families and healthy ideas around the family. So the attack on men is, is real, but it's really an attack on the family. Because once we destroy the, 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 the male role model and we destroy the family role as, as, as the unit of society. It's
3: very true. And then, the
2: state, then the state steps in and the state becomes the, uh, the family by the way, Mark, just as, uh, know, just to just to give you an example, just as ahead. when you destroy the family, you know, gangs become the role model or terrorist organizations, gangs which are essentially gangs become the role model in, in heavily impoverished areas.
0: Right. And this goes back to what I was saying about the single parent household and the men that we see that come from there, a lot of times they're very feminine.
2: Well, because the, the role models that they're, they're they're taking are are one of more sensitivity which can be a plus. Correct. They're more open to others. They're more sensitive to others, and but that is also can be used against them. But you definitely uh, if need. They de- you if definitely they don't need know that. how to adequately stand up for themselves.
0: Right. That's why um, you need that male figure growing up. You need you yearn for the father.
2: Right. Rather than not being victimized or expecting, you know, the you know mommy state or uh, someone's going to step in. Uh, it, it's really how we learn to deal with forced violence is extremely important. Um, because if we, if we don't learn to deal with it, uh, growing up, then we have false notions of, of what it's all about. And, um, you know, there's a, just as there's a profound fear of violence, we also have a fascination with it. I mean, it's ironic how we have these, we have no, no gun zones around schools as if that's actually going to work. Uh, we have, uh, no, uh zero-tolerance policies on the most ridiculous things, okay? But the media the, that we're fed and, and that people go into, whether it be video games or television or particularly Netflix – I mean, Netflix is just nothing but one dystopian fantasy after another for the most <laughs> part. Right. And not exclusively, but if we look at a lot of it, it is. Um, and you look at the whole lineup, much of it is is geared around violence,
0: we are very uh we are a very violent sort of uh culture, and I agree some of the most highest rated i guess podcasts are about crime and murder, so I agree one hundred percent that kind of says a lot about who we are well you know within
2: different traditions um and of course, is the, you know, this is just for the sake of discussion. Uh, sure. You know, a lot of folks say that, you know, this is the age of iron, you know, the, the Kali Yuga, uh, the age of decadence. And that, um, you know, of course, the, the Hindu cycles go round and round, just as astrological cycles go round and round. And, uh, you know, that things hit this kind of technological marvels coupled with you know a, a profound disregard for for human life or life as a whole life as a whole even and um you know and that's that's a sign of of uh again of decadence on on a spiritual level i think there's some truth to that uh of course these cycles are massive in scale so it would be uh, foolish to think that this is a sudden phenomenon that just came upon us it's something that's been in motion for uh Thousands of years, if not sub cycles thousands of years, or just cycles tens of thousands of years, if not more,
0: yeah, it's a cycle that we see. I like to uh you know, I like to say that man is wolf to man ultimately,
2: well, that's nature though I mean nature's red right in tooth and claw and and we are so blessed, so amazingly blessed with um not having to you know kill our own animals from, from to for food. Uh, we're so blessed with the great, uh, technology that we have that shelters us and allows us to communicate here, you know, across 3,000 miles, uh, uninterfered.
0: Yeah, the fact that we have speech (laughs) is a miracle all in itself. Yeah.
2: So I think that we have to recognize that just as civilization is, as I said, this battle against vulgarity, uh, one of the things that is also a battle against in that vulgarity, we're also mean against crudeness and violence itself. We're constantly trying to refine ourselves away from, you know, extreme violence, and and part of that is, uh, you know, nature is essentially violent. We don't like to to admit that we because we want to believe that there is this kind and loving God out there that has made everything, and that um, there's this kind and loving God that somehow everything is going to be all right. That it, that there's an under a reason why things are the way they are, and that's a, that is a a uniquely uh, kind of Western view. I and mean, that's a monotheistic view. You, you don't see that in Taoism. That's you don't true. see that in, in Hinduism. You don't see that in Buddhism. Yeah, that comes from you the West.
3: That. Yeah.
2: No doubt. So um, you cut out there for a second. Oh, so I, and I'm just saying that we have to, again, address our, our philosophical views and our religious and metaphysical views and ask ourselves do they match with the way the universe really is? Now, this is not to demean or diminish the importance of, uh, love and compassion. Not in the least. In fact, it may even make them more important, and empathy more important. It's just saying that, uh, a lot of the views that we have, we have them because we can afford them. And, uh, this includes false notions about other traditions. I remember having, uh, a Lama, Tibetan Lama, uh, say to me several years ago, when he was staying with my wife and I for a presentation, and he's talking about as a child, uh, his mother had said that uh, when she was young, she was talking to a lama who grew up on the the frontier with China, and she was talking to him, and she was surprised that he knew so much about weapons and fighting. He said, "But you're a monk. How do you know about fighting?" Said, "Well, we're on the frontier there, he goes. Everyone knows about weapons." Just be glad that you grew up in a place where you don't have to. And we need to really wrap our heads around that. That you know, we we're really very fortunate that we can have these wonderful wooden buildings with big glass windows and big glass doors and all sorts of things that uh instead of having to live in, you know, castles.
0: Right. We do have that we do have that notion, the false sense of the, the, real, the real false sense of security, which is really not how it truly is.
2: Well, that's correct. There's a false sense of security and a false sense of continuity and a false sense of permanence. Now, when we look at the media, in particular, a lot of these dystopian fantasies that are projected, they're kind of a way of the unconscious breaking through and reminding us that things aren't permanent and that things can change radically and quickly overnight even. Uh, so that's part of, you know, their function on a, on a psychological level, okay? They, I mean, they're, every, all these things are multi multifunctional. They're not singular. Uh, but what we as individuals can do is, uh, again, it, try to extract ourselves from these collective fantasies because they're so subtle. They're wonderfully subtle. And just begin to see life as it is, see ourselves as we are, uh, grasp uh, our direction and our purpose, and our aspirations, and take them into our our journey, our path, and uh, learn how to work well with others, learn how to play well with others, but not be subsumed or dominated by others or collective
0: relationships. I agree. This is why I always say don't let your emotions get too ahead and a hold of your entire existence and really discern what really sets you off. And on a side note, Mark, since we've been talking uh, about politics a little bit here, um, I thought it'd be interesting to ask your opinion if you believe any of the top-level politicians in power uh, study and practice the left-hand path to a certain degree.
2: Well, I think we need to define what the left-hand path is, and there's there's two definitions of that. Um, one of them, which is what would be the common notion of are are these politicians involved in what we think of as diabolic magic? That would be one definition of the left hand path. Hmm. Uh, the other definition is not so uh, uh, black and white, right? Right. Okay. And uh, so we we have to make that very clear that we're using a very narrow. I'm going to answer that question along a very narrow lines, which would not fit in well with some other traditions. So sure. Uh, I would say that, look, when you are involved in this obsessive power grab without any concern for truth, just your own stabilization of power, without concern for the effects of society or others, then you are de facto involved in that. It doesn't matter what you wear, what books you read, or what you do. Your whole temperament, your whole inner energies are geared towards uh, something essentially materialistic and self-centered, no matter how, you know, and and no matter what metaphysical beliefs you may have around it. So um, there you have it. I mean, people want to think of these so-called, you know, whether it's great spiritual masters or saints, uh, you know, they, they all have these archetypal notions of how they want to imagine them, and they're not that way most of them. And they have the same notion about how they want to think of as these archetypal, you know, diabolic politicians, literally diabolists, you know, devil-worshipping or evil-worshipping, you know, uh, folks of some kind. And they're not like that.
0: Yeah, it's a little too far.
2: Yeah, I mean, they don't have to. thats that, I mean, that that's almost for the amateur, you know, to have to do that in some ways. Now, I'm not going to say it may not happen or it doesn't happen, but I can't tell you. But, I mean, uh, the joke, uh, you know, the joke we, we said to a couple of friends is, look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Hillary Clinton gets up every morning and has a, a blended baby Slurpee for breakfast. <laughs> OK, but I honestly wouldn't be surprised if she did. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I don't blame I'm not going to say it happens, but I wouldn't be surprised. I just won't be because they it, it, be asking me why because I've been around enough people and seen enough depravity as much as really good stuff too I've seen wonderful aspects of humanity but I've seen a lot of depravity as well. I said it just won't surprise me who it surprises is the the people in the middle the so called middle class virtues and middle class values that keep society stable you know they're 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 like the uh uh and they work is that that's who he he uh uh based it upon you know it's the folks who reside in the shire you know from lord of the rings you know the shire folk yeah i mean they're wonderful people they're nice but they really don't know what's going on outside their world and that's okay you know but once you've been outside it as we saw in those movies it's hard to go back and that's what happens when people get involved in the paranormal or in spirituality of any kind or any of these things once you hit the liminal and you start dealing with it on a regular basis or different practices, it it can be very difficult to go back to that existence, and you have to find a way to stabilize it so you don't go off the edge. But some people who do find a way to stabilize it, for better or worse, in in this case we'll talk about it for worse, all of their energies are driven towards these this essentially the the accumulation of power as a means and an end.
0: Right. If you want to stay in chaos, you got to be tough.
2: That's exactly it. You've got to be incredibly, incredibly tough. And what we're seeing in the political systems and through the creation of a, an intelligence state and not only just a surveillance state and, and, and worldwide surveillance apparatus is the enclosure or, you know, for constricting of people to try and keep that under control. But uh, again, you know, who is watching the watchers? Right.
0: Of course, your book is Egregores, The Occult Entities That Watch Over Human Destiny. Get that book now. Mark is here live and direct. And we are coming to a close on the interview here, Mark. I really hate to do that since we've been having such a great discussion here.
2: Well, it's been a great time being here. I'm glad we are finally able to to uh, get together. And uh, I really just hope that your listeners have enjoyed uh, the conversation. And I think... uh our caller for calling in and, uh, and sharing her story because it is a common one. Many people do feel this and they don't understand why they feel the way they do, but it's these ex- energies that they're exposed to at work or in politics or uh, in there. So maybe even their house of worship or with the community there, uh, they may not necessarily be in their best interest. So it's good that they find a way to examine their life, examine their relationships bring some order to it that's good for them, and that's of their decision, and and that's really what the book was all about. Now, we've talked about some great stuff here, you know, and some speculative things, but those are beyond our control. The book is really about identifying what is within our control and, and taking it.
0: I agree, and again, Mark, we are definitely closing up here, but I want you to feel free to plug anything you'd like, your website and how people can contact you. And, of course, any final words you'd like, please feel free now. The stage is yours.
2: Just feel free to contact me at the Institute for Hermetic Studies and just type that into Google. It'll show up, or my name, of course, that'll show up as well. Uh, the book, of course, can be bought directly from the publisher, from your local bookstores or Amazon. And I just tell everyone, my best advice to you is find a good spiritual path and practice daily for yourself. And find it, cultivate it, nurture it, and allow it to be something that reveals to you who you are and a way to bring that into its fullness and expression in your life so that your life really is your own.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you, Mark, for being a part of the program. It's been a complete honor and pleasure to finally get you in here, and we'll definitely have to do it again in the near future. Thank you very much. All right, Mark. Mahalo. Have a good night. Take care. And there he goes, Mark Stavish, a great, great guest, and my God, what a week it's been. It's really fun. This this entire week I've really been flirting with the idea in my mind. If I want to do this program at least three times a week. And I, you know, I'm starting to feel uh, the need to really do that sort of thing. I would love to do that. Perhaps I'll do that within a week or so from now. I'll try to get into that more so. And of course, during the week, someone else didn't really have such a great week. That would be Amy Schumer back in the pig pen. And I'm glad to see that happen right there back to where she needs to be. And of course, I want to thank All the great international listeners out there, those in the U.K., Germany, Canada, India, Poland, and the great folks out there in Australia. I really do appreciate all the support and love I get from all of you out there. It's really amazing. I would like to thank everyone out there who donates to the program. And if you want to help fund the program, please go to michaeldeacon.com and click the little donate button there. Any amount is great, and I'd really appreciate that. Now, tonight we may not have found every answer we seeked for. However, we further connected the pieces to the Cosmic Puzzle Board. I'm Michael Deacon. Thank you for listening. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. Yeah.
1: And once you figure out how the the key to understanding all of this, all of a sudden, the whole world opens up to you, and you say, oh, now I see why there were a twin towers in New York. New York, the empire state. You need to do some homework on the term twin tower and find out that it goes back to Jacob and Boaz of of the Phoenicians. End of Days.
0: The freedom of speech is being taken away. What Take do they die? I, do you
3: believe in heaven? I've been Was it 1997, Michael? Aneel?